have I got the story for you. Kathy DeMattis is running for governor of Delaware. She's a private business owner, published author, spiritual healer, creator of a skincare line, and is very pro-cannabis. But first, a word from today's sponsor, AndrePsyche.com. AndrePsyche.com is the cute, quaint corner store boutique with all sorts of neat and original merchandise you had no idea existed because AndrePsyche.com has been tucked away in the northwest corner of the internet. Let me give you a little preview of the plethora of potential purchases awaiting you. We are talking about literature, clothing, paintings, prints, accessories, music, poetry, everything created from the crazy creative mind of Andre. Looking for a custom gift? Have an idea and just can't make it yourself? Well, all you have to do is message Andre because he is a freelance creator extraordinaire and he will turn your vision into a tangible product. So go to AndrePsyche.com and see what speaks to you because each and every item will have a story behind it. Nothing is made. Everything is created on AndrePsyche.com. We are also brought to you by the Getting to Know You pod. Please do the podcast a favor. We need and appreciate your support. Take a moment right now and push the subscribe button, whether you're listening on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever app. And while you're at it, if you can rate and review the pod, that is especially helpful. If you haven't already, friend and follow the Getting to Know You pod. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Search us up. It's getting the number two, no, the letter U, pod. And finally, we are looking for sponsors and advertisers. So if you or someone you know has a business or brand and would like to expand your market reach, please consider partnering with the Getting to Know You pod. The podcast is downloaded. We're up to 25 countries at this point and 40 states in America. So if you or someone you know are looking to get more traffic to your site, more followers on your social, more purchases of your product, more clicks on your whatever, just message us. Our advertising rates are extremely reasonable and we would love to partner with you. And now, getting to know you. Hello. Getting to know I'm going to do a terrific show today. Getting to like you, getting to hope you like me. Because I'm good enough. Getting to know you, putting it my way, but nicely. I'm smart enough. You are precisely and doggone it. my cup of tea. On today's show, we are getting to know Kathy. Kathy, who has recently become a grandmother is an author and is running for governor of the great state of Delaware. Kathy, thank you uh, for taking some time to come on and uh, letting people get to know you. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you for inviting me. I appreciate the invitation. And I guess I probably, if I was better, I would have put this in the intro. You are running for governor endorsed by the independent party, correct? Yes. I'm endorsed by the independent party of Delaware. Man. So that is something. And initially when we were talking a little bit yesterday, I think like party lines, I feel decently comfortable saying I understand some Republican premise, pretty comfortable saying I understand Democratic premises, but I don't know if I could explain what the independent party is about, like some important stances that they have. So I was hoping we could kind of start with that just so I and people who listen can kind of get a better understanding of what is the independent party about? 
Okay, the Independent Party of Delaware is number one. They're about freedom of choice, and they follow the Constitution and our constitutional rights. So one of the things that was in the Constitution from the get-go was that it was supposed to be level, a level playing field for anybody who wanted to run. It's we the people. So the party is mirrored the the party is mirrored based upon what our constitution originally stood for which was to give you and I a voice and 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 being um in a position to be able to take our ideas for what we have and be able to put them into the legis and to you know to be able to run and truly make a difference leveling the playing fields interesting because it's funny how the and I, I don't know I guess it might have always been like this I'm not a super history buff, but it seems so weird with 330 million people almost a million people in Delaware that um basically it's two options most people feel like it's always two options from what you see right right the the Independent Party of Delaware will actually be celebrating their 20 year anniversary this August. Oh, no way. And I can't remember the exact date of it. It might have been August 27th or August 28th. So I can't, you know, I, I wasn't there for that conception, <laughs> obviously. So, but I do know it was in August. And there's an old saying that, that says that it takes 20 years for an overnight success. Really? And beings oh. that they are, you know, 20 years um, into this, it really is right on time. Um, the Independent Party of Delaware grew by 40% last year. Oh, wow. That, that's a significant number. You as a school teacher understand, you know, a 40% increase. That's really good, you know, in, in one year's time. So that shows that that shows, you know, that number one, that it took 20 years to get to that position to where that they could have a 40% growth in one year, because how do you get people to, switch their mindset out of a two-party system do you remember and it's been realistically i mean i have to think about how long this has been it's probably been about 28 29 years since ross perot ran <laughs> do, do you man, remember I, that i i want to say i was in a middle school in lewis and all i can remember is i i think and if i'm wrong i'm, I'm wrong but i think a time magazine cover with like this little tiny dude and this big old head and he looked like a mouse. It was like a caricature about how he was like screwing up the election by being a third and, option. <laughs> and and realistically, like, could you imagine where we could have been the position? And one of the things that I feel that we have done is we, well, number one, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. What do we as voters do? We lob from Democrat and we swing that pendulum all the way over to Republican. Overnight, we can have a shift like that, a major shift overnight which what we've traditionally seen is one half of the country is happy and yeah. the other <laughs> half of the country has just gone into a downward spiral. 
when you think about the independent party and you think about that being in the middle, then all you really need to do is swing your pendulum to center and balance us out. That's all that it is. We're swinging from left to right with these huge swings. And if you think of like a grandfather clock and you think about that, you know, that, uh, if, if you were to watch a pendulum clock go all the way from high left to all the way to high right, it would be, or a metrodome would be the same thing. Like right. if you're, you know, if you're watching how that metrodome is spinning back and forth, no wonder we are in the position that we're in. We're swinging too radical of a shift each time we run through an election. Yeah. So if we're sick of the Democrats, we go all the way over to Republican. And then if we're sick of the Republicans, we go all the way over and we swing back to Democrats. So, and it's such a radical shift. No wonder we've not been able to get anything done, well, which we haven't. And I was thinking two things. Number one, I just a funny little it, in my head. So like the independent party are basically swingers. <laughs> they're not uh, like, they're not well, married. No, I know it was kind of in jest, but it's like, they're not married to like very specific things because they have a little more wiggle room, but I guess you more, have to have, right. I would say walking the fence. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I would say walking the fence, you know, that you, you walk the fence and you have like, think about what a judge has to do. A judge yeah, is supposed case. to look at both sides of something and and make an equation and even as parents like think about you know you growing you know when you you're raising oh, your children now it's so you hard take to a have little that. bit from your mom and a little bit from your dad and you decide to raise your kids based upon the both things that you learned from both parents yeah so it's it's sort of like taking, you know, and if we start to take the good that we can find in the Republican Party and the good that we can find in the Democrat Party, you know, Democrat principles, and then we start to just pull away from what we don't like, we can take those things and build something that's more unilaterally beneficial to the whole entire population versus you know, asking 50% of the country to swing so far in the opposite direction that it doesn't really emulate any of its values. Yeah, so where can we come together and meet in the middle? Go ahead. No, well, and you had mentioned, and this was aside from my corny little swingers joke, this was like, to me, the, the, the bigger issue is when you have these swings, it kind of does get impossible to get things done because it's very hard for government to apply a new policy and get that thing from the top to the bottom within a couple of years and then actually gauge if it's successful or track the results. Right. Like it's such you, a long and process. And if you keep swinging, you never get the time to actually see the results of whatever policy right. that's been enacted. Because, right. That's the problem that we, you know, like that's the problem that we run into is we know realistically it takes five years from conception of an idea to really success in that idea. Like there's a lot that has to, you know, go into play with something. But by that fifth year, you're usually swinging. Like your, yeah. your stuff's, you know, like everything is out and, it, and it's rolling. And it's, you know, we, I spent the weekend here in Wilmington 
you know, walking the streets of Wilmington and talking to people. And the one thing that we're hearing over and over and over is that people are tired of what's happening and they're tired of being used. They're, you know, they, they've all figured out that they're a pawn in the King's game and, and that's all that they are are pawns and they're tired of it. And realistically, if you look at the percentage of people who came out and voted the other week, that is nothing for us to brag about. 13.8% came out to vote. Came out to vote for what? The, in the, it was a presidential primary. Oh, we had a pres- yeah, man. So we, that's amazing. We had, yeah, we had that presidential primary about two weeks ago. I think it was on the 7th or something like that. And if you look at that, 13.8% is not even a nickel and a dime. Not even a nickel and a dime. Yeah, but is that kind of common? I've never looked up the stats for presidential primaries. That was actually one of the lowest that we've had. That was actually one of the most pathetic turnouts that we've ever had. And if you look at, do you know what Delaware's GDP did this last year? Do you know what our growth was? No. It's a whopping zero. Huh. Zero. Zero. Yeah. What's not working in Delaware? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing is working in Delaware. So that so, would be 2019's GDP, right? You're you're giving me a number that's pre-corona. Yes. Oh, yes. Okay. Oh wow. Yes, because you can't gauge this year's. But yeah, right, basically, so, yeah. what our GD this is what we've produced. Zero. Man, that's pathetic. That's pathetic, and this is what. So it's clear to see that that things aren't working and we know based upon, you know, I mean, if we're seeing this and we are seeing this and we're seeing all the other things that we're seeing. And we went last night, we went to Georgetown last night and listened to the people who were running for mayor of Georgetown. And there was three of them that were up. There was three of them pretty much vying for this one post. And the one thing that we took away from that whole entire thing is that they have no ideas. They don't know what to do to solve the homeless. They don't know what to do to solve the opioid crisis. They don't know what to do for jobs. They virtually don't have a plan. There's no plan. And so I came away from that going, oh, well, good, because I'm the one that has a plan. (laughs) So now I've got now, you know, I'm seeing, you know, what's happening inside the towns and seeing what's going on. So I'm like, okay, good. I got my work cut out for me because I do have a plan. And I published my plan 18 months ago, Um, but I wrote it. I'm going to I'm just going to say, like, I'm assuming that's on your website. The if you go on my website, which the is platforms, the platforms are all up there because you have to keep your you you can't write a book on your face, you know, on your uh, uh, social media, right on or on your uh, website. But I do have like the platforms are all there. And then as we add more things and kind of we, we're giving more of a definition or kind of um, giving you more of a playbook of what our plan is for each particular category. Okay. 
Well, so if I can just back up a moment, because I actually have no idea how you calculate um, GDP. Do you have um, like, how is that actually measured? Is it like tax revenue in? Is it income that gets filed versus inflation or something like that? You know what? I don't know how the state does it. I don't I don't know how I'm assuming that there's a team of people that work on that. But um, but what surprised me is that's the numbers that came out the other day. So I think two days ago was when those numbers came out that that we that we have that we've got no growth here in Delaware, like absolutely no growth. Right. Yeah. And because I was just wondering, does that happen because people don't get raises because if taxes are cut or is it income coming in some way with like consumer spending at some point? I have to, well, I have to Google taxes, that. Well, for one, for this year, we can only collect taxes, like especially like a business, like a business, you know what, like if my business makes say $10,000, you know, I'm going to pay taxes on that $10,000. Well, we haven't been able to go out and work. So how am I going to make money to pay taxes? Yeah. So, you know, most businesses file their taxes quarterly. So quarterly, you know, we're dropping money into the state of Delaware's coffers. Well, you can't drop money into the coffers if we're not allowed to go out and work. So the state is already... You know, and we were already operating at a deficit to begin with. Um, Even the state, like the the city of Dover, when they put their um, budget together, there's something like, I can't remember how many millions over. I think maybe only two million over, which isn't a lot when you think about it. But for you and me, oh my gosh, what what couldn't we do with two million dollars? So when we think, oh my gosh, you know, the city has got a two million dollar deficit, what are we going to do? I always thought that was illegal. I thought there was a law against in Delaware that the budget had to be balanced state local wise. If you, it's supposed to be, it's supposed (laughs) to be. And Lord knows what they do come the end of the year. And this is the thing is we don't know what they're doing. What is the transparency happening? What's happening? We know, we know over the years that our school districts have been robbed. We know that. I don't know if the school district that you went through was, but you know, I was at the Christina school district. We know our school district got robbed. Um, Other school districts, you know, have, you know, have had, um, superintendents, you know. Oh, you mean like literally robbed as in like the financial people or somebody taking the money? Yes. We, we, that's our, that was, that happened in Christina school district. We knew that. It happened in Laurel as well. It was like a hundred grand from Laurel, maybe five, eight years ago. Oh, wow. So, I mean, I guess it's happening. I mean, I knew a few other school districts, you know, that it had happened, you know, into. So, you know, when, when you look at that and then they turn around and ask the taxpayers to pay more money because there's budget shortfalls. Well, no, we're not, you know, like it's the same thing. Like if you, if you give your kid $10 and they don't know, and then they turn around and they ask you for $2 for an ice cream cone and you say, well, where's the $10 that I just gave you? I don't know. I lost it. Well, then why would you give another $2 if they weren't responsible with the 10? 
I was like, well, what did you do with it? I have no idea what happened to it. Don't know. <laughs> How is that? Be? You know what I mean? Like, we wouldn't do this with our children. Why are we doing this with people who were paying $200,000 a year just about. <laughs> to yeah. be able to manage it? Why are we? Yeah, so that was you know, two. I was just Googling while you were going. It was 2010 in Laurel. It was 2010. Yeah, I just remember that because it's such a small district with a tight revenue. I'm like, how did he figure out a way to siphon out that much money <laughs> in a district that's relative? I mean, it's one of the smallest districts in the state. One of the smallest districts in the state. So one of the things that we have proposed is to to bring our districts together like and, and keep our districts countywide. Oh, really? So that's one of the that's one of the things that we are looking into. It would be able to cut administrative costs. We'd be able to streamline some things, but streamline like what things streamline, um, um, so like the streamlining, like things like, um, how many administrative secretaries do we have in it? in each administration. Can we, can we bring that down? Like depending upon which one is in how many school districts are in each County, then how many, you know, how many administrators are we paying? How many superintendents are we paying? So if we can take things and we can streamline it, because we don't even think people, kids are going to be going back to school. I personally do not feel like our kids are going to be going back to school come September. And what type of things are we going to have to implement to do differently to teach our kids? So if we're going to be doing everything via a computer and doing it that way, is, is there are there some other ways that we're going to be able to come up with that we can teach? I mean, are we going to start creating video series and teach kids through video series? But so, with the, the countywide and it, and the reason I'm interested in this is because you would think like the smaller, the more local, the easier it would be to um, change, like to to pivot, right? To adjust because there's less stakeholders, there's less people affected by the decision. So going to like think, uh, going to a county wide, but that's not what we're seeing. Hmm. So we're we're not seeing that. So you would think it would be easier to manage in those small little things, but what we're seeing is those small little pockets. It's the it's it's almost like it's too much to manage because then you've got ten different school districts. So then there's ten things that you need to watch versus streamlining it into one. Oh, uh, so and then oversight only, wise, it would help. Say that again. Oversight wise, it would also help right. to like oversight, audits and oversight wise, it would help because it's sort of like there's too many too many fingers are in the pot and it's hmm. so hard to keep track of it. I wish, I mean, we're seeing that it's happening. So even though we would think it would be easier to monitor that, the proof is in the pudding, and the pudding is we've had our school districts. You know, like this is a reoccurring. This is something that that happens. And because of the cleverness of the people who were basically stealing from the school districts, there was nothing that we could do to prosecute because they pulled innocent people in. So we would have had to take innocent people down in order to be able to prosecute. So because basically we couldn't prosecute, no crime, no punishment, yet we all know it all happened. What I'm so unfamiliar with that up in Christiana. So... 
can you just give me a little more? It's been a long, long time. It's been, oh my gosh, probably 15 years. So I don't remember the name of the superintendent, you know, or anything like that. I remember one of my oldest is 30. So it had to have happened when he was like 15, 13 or 14 or something like that. Okay. So it's just been too long. So I can't remember any of the names. I just know that that's what, that's what happened. And I know that they couldn't go and prosecute because it was going to take innocent people down. So I wonder how that would go about taking innocent people. I guess like the law would say if someone signed off on it and they trusted or something like that. Right. If they trusted. And that was from my understanding, Hmm. you know, it was like they trusted people. So they were, it would be, you know, like if you're, if, if someone comes up to you and says, Hey, I've got this check here. Can you sign this so we can get this out the door? You'd be, Oh yeah, let me sign it real quick. You might not even think about it, but then you get roped into something not realizing that you just that you just got taken and how many people get taken realistically anyway you know like we we see people all the time where old ladies give their life savings away for the gutter company who was going to come and put a new gutter and new roofs and she writes out a check for $20,000 and never sees them again you know things like this happen people get scammed and, and it happens. And, and what do you do, you know, when that happens? And it's, so it, it seems to me that the eighties and the nineties were, were just a, a, um, a, a bag of a lot of, um, ways, clever ways that people could come up with, to get a lot of money really quick and embezzle it and, and have it slide in directions hmm. that, you know, weren't going to be easily traceable. And we've created a culture of this. People get swindled all the time, you know, all the time. And, and okay. then we're left trying to pick up the pieces from all that. So what are we learning? And if we don't, if we don't stop, what we're doing and start to look at something from a different point of view, we're just going to keep kicking this can on down the road. And this is what we're going to be giving to our children. And I just don't, What else? I don't, I don't see what we're giving to our kids right now is. I'm curious what else a, a, like a countrywide district or a countywide district would do aside from like streamline uh, administrative costs. How else do you see it being beneficial? How do we see it beneficial? There's a couple of ways that we were seeing it beneficial. Um, Like, look at your average tax bill for what you're paying for Laurel School District versus what you're going to be paying for Cape Henlopen School District. And then look at some of the school districts that are in center. And I'm going to look at Sussex County because Sussex County is that biggest county where we've got, you know, like a a big amount of square footage, you know, um, all divvied up. So when you look at some of the poor uh, communities that we have that are based upon those taxes, you know, that money comes in based upon their taxes. So if we were to be able to take from the whole entire 
county and pull all that money together, we would be able to balance out. So just because a child is born in, in a poorer school district, does that mean that that child should have less resources given to them just because they weren't lucky enough that they were, yeah, you know, that they're living in Cape Henlopen in school districts where, you know, you're looking at houses that are even the cheapest homes that I'm seeing right now coming up in like Lewis and stuff like that. There's $300,000 houses that are going on lots that are no bigger than what are that we're, you know, purchasing here in the neighborhoods up in Newark for around 200000 So there's another $100,000 just in property taxes for the exact same house just because you're in like Cape Henlopen School District. So is, is there a way that we can balance that out? So that's one of the things that we're looking at. Okay. So we've, we've been looking at a lot of different things. We've been wanting and reaching out to school teachers. We've got a couple school teachers um, that are working with us now. And we have school teachers that are working on curriculums, updated curriculums based upon what's going on. But we need we need more people to volunteer. I mean, th this is the, the biggest thing that we could ask for right now is that we just need more people to step up to the plate. Everybody is always wants their hand out first, you know, like if you ask them to do something, they want to know, well, how much am I being paid for this? Yeah. Well, if everything always boils down to money, then that's where, you know, like the revolution was not fought based upon, you know, well, how much money are you going to pay me to do this? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was, it was like, well, what does it mean to you? So, so We've been, you know, putting that question out to everybody else is what does this mean to you? What do you want to see happen in your school district? You as a teacher have the best inside experience as to what works for you inside your classroom and what was working for you inside your kit, you know, inside with all the kids. So with talking, you know, with talking with different teachers, that's how this is going, you know, that's how this is going to work is getting these minds to come in together and to start talking about, you know, well, what do we need to do? Like what's been your experience? And then when you have a board of 10 or 12, 13 people sitting down and they start to formulate, especially if there was teachers who were, um, teaching on the side, you know what I mean? Like if you were tutoring on the side, you knew what was working for your for your children, you know, side tutoring versus what you were doing inside of the classroom, which one, you know, works out better. And we, we see in our private school systems that our kids who are coming in for a private school education generally walk out with a much better education. Oh, I, and it's usually done with less money than what we've been giving to people yeah, in our school district. But that's, that's such a hard comparison because... It, it, public school districts take all and private school districts. If you just think of the basic fundamental, you, your kids registered for public school, everything kind of comes to you, the private school, you're going to the school. So initially you're right there. The family's completely invested in the success. And right. then number two, when you're, paying, when you're paying for something, you tend to care more than if it's free. You know, my daughter well, will get free toys out of her Chick-fil-A bag and those things don't matter to her. But if she earns, money and then she buys a toy. She definitely cares for it more. And you're looking at then who has the money to pay for private schools. It tends to be the more affluent who are going to score better on standardized tests anyway. 
But what people have forgotten is that you are paying for this education. You're paying for yeah, it through but your they taxes. Don't, people don't see it that way because they're not really like cutting a check like that. They're not, they're not like going up to the school and giving $10,000 to the secretary. Right. You know, so, but, so it's, it, it's the people who are so, paying private schools are also paying taxes and on top of it. <laughs> right. The <laughs> people that are paying for, for right, education. But one of the things that a lot of people are saying right now, and I monitor a lot of conversations, a lot of people want to know right now, can they, you know, beans that, you know, there's even the possibility that their kids aren't going to be going back into school. Should they be able to not have to pay that tax bill? If And I've always said that. It's something I said prior to me. Like, if I didn't have to have paid what I was paying for the taxes, would I have been able to afford to put my children into a better education? Because then into a better school, because then I would have had the control. So aside from the school tax, and I know that there's like in Sussex County, there's a Sussex Tech tax, and then there's a local school district tax. I mean, I, I think that tax might, I don't, I don't even think for me on a home with an acre, like it's not even a thousand dollars. I don't remember. I sold my house a year ago, so I haven't looked at my, I haven't looked at what we did, you know, a year ago to right. know what that tax bill was. Yeah. I mean, aside from like county tax and then the school tax, um, I, I don't, I, I don't think any, and it's because of the property tax assessment is so low, but I don't think Delawareans are paying a ton. Like, I don't think I could take my school taxes that I paid to my local and Sussex tech and be able to afford St. Mark's for a year. I don't think it's um equal. It might not be equal. I don't even and I'd have close. to look at it. I don't, I don't, like I said, I don't have the numbers in front of me, especially because everything is based upon, um, a di- you know, like where your area is. Right. So I don't, I don't have any of those numbers for me, you know, to look at and to break them all down. But if you're paying for something and you're not getting it, why should you pay for it? Right. Yeah. I, yeah, I guess then the counter then would be like, aren't you getting it online? Like, aren't you getting it virtually? There's a difference between virtual and hands-on, and most children learn hands-on versus virtual. Okay, so you're thinking like it's a lesser quality, so then maybe you would get a little discount. I mean, I would, I would never. I mean, there was a proposal the other day about paying fifty thousand dollars for an online education through a college. No way. I would never do that. I would never pay $50,000 for an online education. I paid $15,000 for my hands-on education when I went to massage school. I paid, but I saw value to that. It was hands-on. I was inside of a classroom. I had teachers working with me and teaching me. And that $15,000 turned around and I spent 22 years in that profession and, and made a very good income. I paid that $15,000 bill back within like six months. Right. So it had, it, it didn't, it, it wasn't, you know, I didn't need to spend $50,000 in order in that one year in order to be able to do it. I spent a fraction of that. 
so we have to sort of like look at what it what is it that we're and and a lot of those fees that we're paying we're paying for the buildings we're paying for the janitors we're paying for the heat the electricity we're paying for all of that stuff so if we're contemplating you know taking all of that away and going to virtual learning once you build a program once how much how much do you need to keep charging for it like once but then, you know you buy a book you buy a book for $20, you've bought the book, it's over and done with. Why do you need to keep charging $20 for the book? Yeah, I guess, man, when I hear the the heating and air, I can get that. But the custodial costs, like, aren't you then kind of talking about jobs from people? If that money's we, we not We are, in? and that's why I don't want to do it like this. I think it's going to be detrimental, but that's what they're proposing. That's what that's what the state of Delaware is proposing. Oh, really? I huh. think it's, a yes, I think it's, I don't think that's a good idea. I don't think it's a good idea for our kids to, you know, not leave their home and to do all virtual learning because how are they going to be able to, unless the plan is for us to be completely isolated for the rest of our lives, (laughs) if that's the plan, then yeah, it would make sense to isolate your children and make them never leave their home. So then they don't have social skills. They won't learn how to play well with others. I I think it's disastrous to do it like that, but I'm not the one running it right now. So, I mean, I know business-wise, I've always made the most money when I was able to interact with with my clients if I can't interact with anybody, you know, and like, let's look at hairdressers. How are hair, how, how are you going to get your hair cut from six feet away? Are we going to use Edward Scissorhands for that? Freddy I mean, we're we just going to, you know, like, so you know, then, put shears on a, on a pole. I want to, <laughs> just to wrap up the tax. So I wound up looking up one of my escrows um, for a home in Lincoln and it's a thousand dollars a year in taxes to encompass school and county tax. It's about $1,000 a year in insurance. And that's a 2,000 square foot rancher, a pretty common home on an acre out in Lincoln. Just for like a little perspective of how much a person would pay in tax bills in order to get that money to go um, make a choice, like to privatize their educational. Um, Because I don't know if like even, um, I know the Jefferson School in Sussex County, and I can really only speak to Sussex County, wound up getting a taken, taken over is the wrong word, but adopted by, um, Sussex Academy of, of science. Mm-hmm. So I don't a even charter. know. If, yeah. Yes. Um, so that's, I don't, I, I've always thought about that voucher kind of system where, cause there's also each kid's worth so much money, right? Each kid brings so much money to the pot. So if you combined right. what your kid was worth or what the kid brought in for money to the school, plus what you paid in taxes, that'd be, I don't know. Cause then how could you plan, right? Like if you have this many kids, how do you plan for the future and for your resources? And how do you understand growth if everyone's able to like just bounce around so easily? I know I diverted you. Mean you. Bounce, you mean bounce around so easily between yeah, so, where they're going to go for school. Exactly. So if I can just go from second grade to third grade and I can just switch, right? If I can go from the East coast or the East side of Sussex to the West side, and then on fourth grade, I go to Kent. And then fifth grade, I can come back. And then sixth grade, I pick another area. Like these schools, it would be very hard to predict growth and have the adequate facilities. I don't think we're talking about having 
the schools all in one area because we need to keep the schools close to oh no yeah yeah i'm talking about if the kids had the freedom of like if the kid was basically a walking voucher and could just bounce around the fact that there's local school property taxes allows the schools to like forecast for the future doesn't it for facilities and for curriculum and budget because they can see the growth i can see where that but that's not happening now hmm so we're, we're having like, we knew, we knew that there was overcrowding in the schools. So we knew that teachers were having up to 35 and 40 kids per classroom. That that's a huge, that's a lot. That's a lot for one person to have to do. Oh yeah. So, and you have to trust that everything is happening for a reason right now. Like everything, everything that's happening is for a reason. And some parents are going to be like, you know what? I've been thinking about homeschooling. This is the push that I needed. And then they're going to be able to make that choice. And, and that could work for a family. If there's only one income coming in and the other parent is home, that could really work very well for that particular parent. So depending upon you know, what it is that they're, you know, that each family is going to need. But I mean, we've got, we have a perfect, this is right now like the most perfect storm that we could ask for to sit down with the people who have experience in this and come to the table and start putting it together. You know what I mean? Like yeah, your ideas, what you have seen, what are some of the people that you work with that you guys have seen? What are some of the people who run daycare centers, which are on a much smaller area, but they do a lot of teaching. Yeah. So, you know what I mean? It's like, you really need to put all of these minds together and start to sit down and, so, and put together something and go, okay, what is going to work for this particular area? And so, I completely agree with you, you saying about the online learning being less effective than hands-on. I don't know um, if anyone wants to dispute that. I don't know how they could, <laughs> to be honest with you. I've really given it a lot of thought. But one thing that um, I've always wondered about the online learning, and it, we did see it this um, spring, is the accountability and like, it's just so much easier for kids to avoid duck. Oh, I didn't know I had the meeting. I forgot about the meeting. Oh, my internet's down. Oh, I couldn't get the paper in on time. You're, you're as a teacher, when you go online, when you go virtual, you lose so much control of the environment, which is a huge part of teaching your classroom environment. So I'm wondering what? some thoughts of yours about how we could like increase student accountability if they're not in the classroom. Well, this is what I would see. I think it has to deal with parent accountability. And what we were seeing, um, just because we knew, you know, we were watching, we were watching some of the people that we knew that had kids and, or, or taking care of kids. And I remember saying to this one person, I said, you know, we should start to sit down with her where I was at at the time. And I said, you know, we should start to down with her and start doing this home, you know, like have accountability. We weren't her parent, but we were seeing, we, what we were seeing is that the guardians nor the parents were stepping up to do anything with the child. We weren't in that position where we could take over that and say, Hey, we're going to start doing, you know, because it, she wasn't our responsibility, but 
what we saw was that there was no parental involvement or guardian involvement. And we started to watch, you know, we were watching what was happening in early March. And we were watching, you know, where a lot of kids were just running around and playing. So obviously parents weren't sitting down with their kids. It has to do with the parents. And some parents are really good at teaching their children and getting their kids to sit down and do homework and to do all that. And other parents aren't. They're not. They're not set up for that. They're they're just not set up for that. No, yeah, they're not so, wired to teach them. Oh, 100%. So, like, and it, it gets overwhelmed. Plus, they have their own lives to deal with, and they're trying to work and whatnot. But I, I guess what I'm looking at is, like, what would – if you as governor, how would you try to increase the accountability for those kids? It's just like a family choice? Nothing could be done? Or are there things that could be done? Well, that it would be putting it – you know, if, if the parents are choosing, if the parents are going to choose to homeschool, I, and I believe this was, this has always been oh, an no, issue. Not, I'm sorry. I don't mean to cut you off. Not, uh, not, a not them choosing to homeschool. If we're back on like that, Hey, we're not, kids are not going to school. We are in, um, I think, I believe governor Carney called it phase C where we would have to be hundred percent digital. Okay. Yeah. So I was referring to like, just like we, what happened in March where we went hundred percent digital for the rest of the school year. And it was very hard for kids to be held accountable for online learning. Right. So then you're going to push it on parents for parents to be accountable. And parents are already at their, a lot of parents are already at their wits end. So how, how can you like realistically? So the bottom line is, is what we're going to see is a lot more children falling through the cracks and not getting the education because you know, we already had a truancy issue. You know what I mean? Like parents already deal with, you yeah. know, once a kid is 15 or 16 years old, if they don't want to be in school and they're skipping school, it's the parents that are getting in trouble because the parents are trying to force this kid. You know, the, the parent drops the kid off in the front of the school building and drives away and little Johnny walks in one door and right out the other, you know, you get to a point where a child has, you know, like they've made up their own mind, whether they want to be in that school or whether they don't want to be in that school. But if the parents aren't there to help the child, if there's no accountability with the parents, then where are we at from there? Gotcha. Yeah. And so then you're kind of like as a government official, as a governor, your hands would be kind of tied if you go to online learning in order to hold kids account like right now you know it's a pass fail right so you gotta get a 70 percent to pass you have to um turn in assignments it, it's just how people know how school works i don't need to mansplain that but with the online it seems so much more difficult to keep those kids accountable to be in places at time to turn in assignments to even hold them accountable for correctness and content right and that's kind of what i was wondering because you know G governor carney had come out and said that the fourth marking period will not penalize any child and if we have that mentality going forward, it's almost like school is now a choice and a lot of kids don't choose school don't unwillingly choose school. <laughs> without and, some and, force and some and, accountability. And I guess that's what I was trying to find out is, did you have any ideas about how to increase student accountability for online learning if we have to go that route? I mean, about the only way you would probably you would probably have to literally send out teachers to homes 
to make sure that that's being done. Right. And, and, and I don't see, you know, we already have an issue with social workers and, you know, being able to go to a home for a child that's at a, an at-risk child. How are we going to increase this now for all of our state's population that, like... So then that's it, why you're just resolute on, like, kids need to come back because there there is no benefit. I shouldn't say there is no benefit, but the, the benefits are so limited on the online learning for those who most need the learning. Right. And then when you look at, like, when you think about... You know, like we already have children that aren't even being fed right now. Like we have kids that are not even getting a meal, that were getting a meal at least when they were in the school system. And they're not getting that. So realistically, what kids are starving right now? What kids are being beat? You know, like what kids are being abused that the teachers are not seeing right now? So So, would you leave it up to the parent? Like so, it what, has what would you in order to send the child into the school or to let them um, access? I think it has learning? to be because the parent has to take. You know, like you're the parent. This has to be. You know, what do you? I, I don't think we have the right to tell parents what to do, but we do need to give parents, you know, the understanding of what the perimeters are that we can operate in. Like if you choose to homeschool, you could either go with the state's curriculum or you could go with another curriculum. There's other people who homeschool their kids. You know, there's other curriculum choices. You know, there's programs that they can buy that they can do that. They don't have to do the state's curriculum. So it's all 100% on them as the parent. But if that's what they're choosing, then they're stepping up to the plate and saying, this is what I'm doing for my kid. I've researched, you know, all these different curriculums and, and I see where I'm going to be able to do it and that I'm going to be able to be the teacher and be accountable and held accountable to my children. But if you have another woman who's, let's just say you have another set of parents that there's language barriers or there's education issues where they can't or don't understand the curriculum for whatever reason that they're not going to be effective at teaching it. Those children, you, you know, like if the parent can't do it, then the parent should be able to have that option for their child to be in a school system where it's structured, where they can get the education that they felt that they were getting to begin with. And I'm not sure. And I, just to be clear, I was referring to this fall giving a choice and it sounded like, I don't want to speak for you, but it sounded like that was just like a, in general, parents have that choice. I think I, like I said, I'm not running the state of Delaware right now and I'm not going to be running it in September. I don't think that there's that kids are going to be coming back to school and if they're going to come back into school now and this is just my and i'm being critical when i'm saying this we know that first month you know when everything gets calibrated that paycheck doesn't go out to those kids and to, to the school districts until probably the end of september beginning of october once the schools have an idea of yeah. who's inside of the you building, know, who's actually showing up. I, I believe it's called a September 30th count. You have to track it, student attendance. You have to make sure that the kids are there and you have to verify that. Right. 
So, so if the kids are all in school, if they bring kids school back September 30th so that they have the assessment and then come October 1st, schools get shut down again, where does that, it puts, it puts a lot of people, and this is what I honestly, it wouldn't surprise me if that's what happens. I, I'm just like, it wouldn't surprise me. I just wouldn't be surprised if that's the situation that we find ourselves in. So then parents are, you know, hopeful, looking forward to their kids going back to school in September so that they can move back on with their life. And four weeks later, they find out everything is all happening again. So what are they going to do? So this is such a two-pronged approach because people are trying to keep a roof over their head right now and 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 to be able to keep money on the table to pay their home if if people are just going to be in a really really big bind so they're going to be in a big bind and i really don't think that the solutions are going to be out until the spring of 21 solutions is in vaccine no solutions. Not even talking about the vaccine. Um, uh, solutions as far as what are we? Because there's parents that are not going to vaccinate their children. There's parents uh, that are not going to put okay. that in their kid's arm. So, not you know, not knowing you know it hasn't been tested. We we know that there's you know we know from things that were happening happening in Africa with a lot of inoculations that people have wound up being sterile. So a lot of people are not trusting, you know, inoculations any longer. There's a, there's a huge amount of people that don't. So, so what was the solution you were referring to for spring 2021? Is when the school year will start back. Oh my gosh, really? I don't think so. You got to look at, you got to look at the whole entire picture. So number one, we don't have an election until. Can, and can November. I pause you just for a moment? So if, and, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'm, I do try to organize a little bit. So if would it be fair to say then if like you were governor, you would be recommending schools don't start till spring of 2021? It's not that. It's that I don't if when I get in in November. So let's just assume I'm in in November that I get the nomination that I win. I don't start until the end of January, like January 21st. Right. So we're coming in. So let's just look at the whole big picture. We're coming in in the winter season. So depending upon what's going on with colds, how people are getting set, you know, like what's all happening with that is all going to factor in. Okay. So you're Not making the... Mention- I'm sorry to cut you off. I apologize. It's something for listeners. We can't see each other because um, when I go video, it affects my um, the Wi-Fi, the voice, the audio. So I mm-hmm. tend to interject and I apologize that I can't read your body cues. But we're almost looking at it two different ways. I was assuming that you are currently governor, but you're actually trying to be pragmatic about what will happen if you get in and then when you can actually take action steps in January. Correct. Gotcha. Okay. Correct. All right. So I'm looking at it from I'm I'm looking at it like I'm I'm trying to look ahead and go, okay, what's what's the reasonable thing that could be happening here? So knowing that right now I'm not running the state of Delaware. I'm I'm not I'm not the governor. 
So John Carney is. So he's the one that has to make, he's the one that's making all these decisions right now. But let's just assume in November, I win. I don't take office until the end of January. What's all going to be happening in between all that time? What's going to be happening, you know, as far as, you know, are these cases going to be going up or what are the people going to be doing? So depending upon what really happens is how we have to move forward with things. We can't just assume and, and, and we can assume based upon what we've seen since March, based upon, you know, what we have been seeing throughout the summer months about these phases and stuff, you know, oh, we're going into phase three. Okay, now we're going back down to phase one. So just looking at the patterns of what we're seeing, it's almost easy to predict what you're going to see come September, October you know, we knew COVID was in the country as far back as October. So, you know, what's it going to be doing by its one year anniversary, which is, you know, flu season and stuff like that is in, you know, September, October is when we start talking about flu seasons. So what are we going to be dealing with then? And I, you know, so looking at that whole big picture, my prediction is that, I don't think school would be starting until the spring. And that's just, you know, that's just what I'm looking at from where I'm looking at it from the angle that I'm seeing it right now. Because you're just seeing the cases going up. We're bubbling around that 5%. And then the fact that we can't have any, um, we haven't even really had large gatherings. And school is one of the largest gatherings. There's zero chance of keeping kids six feet away from each other in any social setting. Like that's just completely unrealistic. So you're anticipating some bubbles, much like what happened in Dewey or the state parks where people congregate, the virus spreads, and then that's going to just shut things down. Well, I think what it is, is the plan has been to shut things down. Do you remember, I mean, did you get the inoculation for chicken pox or did your mom have a party? Oh, I've, I think I actually just caught it at school. I don't think um, they did the chicken pock party back in the day. I don't think I was well, a part of that. So in your, it, I'm 50, right? And yeah. you're what, 40? Yep. Okay. So I was probably, um, let's see. So I remember when my one kid got chicken pox and I called my friends is like, okay, my kids got chicken pox and they're like, we'll be right over. And all the parents, we wound up actually ordering pizza because it was like, oh, let's get it over and done with so that the kids get it and we don't have to have it. You know, it was in the summer. So all the parents were like, perfect. It's summertime. We'll get this over and done with. It won't interfere with them in the school months during the summer months. That was what our mindset was as parents. And, and, you know, and, and like, it's like you're not going to avoid being sick. There's no possible way. Germs are a part of this Just world. Life. Yeah. You know, that's and, interesting because if you think about like a shutdown and it, theoretically you would hope like, all right, you have a coronavirus party every – just worst case, every single kid in the school catches it. What if like the those most at risk for those children were isolated away from the children for the two weeks and then you would assume – as long as you can't catch it again, that your antibodies have taken care of it, you're now in the free and clear to interact with that child after that two-week period because the child's now free and you 
the child cannot pass it on to you since the child's antibodies would kill it. Right. Yeah. And they've been doing, they've been starting to look at some, they've been looking at some things with, um, hmm. um, they've been, I, I, I that's a gutsy look, move, man. That'd be a gutsy move to call that, to be like, Hey, we're going to have a Corona party <laughs> to make sure everybody uh, gets it. So we I get think that that's herd, what a lot of people have already done. Herd mentality or know, herd immunity. Like, like they're just like, let's just get the herd immunity yeah. and, and just get it and get it over and done with. I know I I'm positive. I had this back in December and cause I was just sicker than a dog. I was so sick, but my husband didn't get near as sick as what I did. So, you know, I think it just all depends upon, you know, whatever your immune system, your right, DNA, whatever your you immune know, system whatever, is, whatever you ate that day. <laughs> right. Right. Like, however, you know, like, where are you at that day? You know, when you get hit with it. So, I mean, we would never, have, you know, and parents, like I would say parents that are probably in their 20s or 30s have been so used to now going and getting their kids inoculated and getting the chickenpox inoculation that it wouldn't, they wouldn't dream of making their know, kids suffer like going, that. Right. And going to a chickenpox party and that, you know, like they wouldn't dream of doing that where my generation was like, oh, like, let's get this over and well, done. Well, it's like with. a free vaccine, right? So then you get to skip the doctor's appointment. You don't have to pay. <laughs> right. It was, just, I mean, so, and I think that really, and I think it depends upon what a parent, I mean, I know when I was, when I was in massage school, which has literally been 20, I did that in 1996. So 25 years ago now, 24 years ago. My teacher was pregnant at the time and she did not want her children, you know, inoculated. And that was the first time that I had heard about, you know, people not, you know, getting their children inoculated for things. And, and then the more I started to talk, you know, to other parents and then I more I started to research about certain things I got. And, and what did it for me was I went to the doctor one day. And he was hounding me about getting the flu shot. And I was like, no, 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 I don't want the flu shot. The next time I got a flu shot, I was sicker than a dog. And they were like, oh, it was probably just because you were ready to get sick. And I was like, I don't care if I was ready to get sick or not. I don't want the I shot. I don't trust you. <laughs> well, they badgered me to the point that I did the shot. And I was like, fine, I'll just do it. I was so sick. It was the worst that I had prior to the one that I had before. I survived both of them. One I got by chance, the one I literally injected inside of myself on purpose. Hmm. Like, so I was like, okay, I'm not doing that again. I was like, I'll take my chances. I'm not going to inject something in me. And when you look at the ingredients that's inside of a lot of these inoculations, when you're talking about fetal tissue, like, I think things get to the point where it's like, you've had enough, like, hmm. You know, you know what I mean? Like when you formaldehyde, why are we injecting ourselves with formaldehyde? Like when you look at the ingredient list that's inside of, you know, um, some of these inoculations and then it, and then it just makes you go, Hmm, is this why autism is so high? Like it does make you think that it was just like, could, could that be the reason? It was like, could it be? Yeah. So it's, it, it doesn't make me want to inject anything it's you know it's well above my pay grade <laughs> and it's um uh, definitely i said it's well above my pay grade to understand the research behind it 
it um it's definitely something that people from what i hear like no one wants to be first in line to try out the coronavirus um uh, inoculation yeah to get the shot for the vaccine they're like we'd rather see what happens when other people get it so it's going to be bold for people to do it can i so (laughs) and i just to try to have like a little segment for anything else you wanted to say so for school wise maybe thinking about countywide districts in order to save on costs because you think it would be easier for, an, or you could cut some administrative costs. It's, curriculum. it's about keeping track of, it's more, it's more about balancing out the money that is coming in so that we can gotcha. distribute the money evenly through the County. And the other thing is that we're really looking at is to curb the amount of um, fraud that we've seen inside of the school districts. Gotcha. So and that's then- the reason Less fingers in a pot. Gotcha. Is there anything else you wanted to touch on with um, education-wise for the state of Delaware? Um, Education-wise, I think we touched, I think what we, I think we did what we were looking for, for education. Um, There's the college levels and stuff. You know, it's, I I think I've. I, I look at our higher education around here at the state of Delaware, you know, and I'm looking at Dell Tech, the University of Delaware, and all of this. And if we can't bring our students, if we can't bring our students back, if, for them to learn in this particular way, what type of jobs are we projecting for all of them? Like, are they going to college to spend a hundred grand on an education for them to work inside their kitchen? Aren't they like, was the point for them to work? Like, what was their job that they were going to do? If they're in school, like, let's look at Dell State, they've got a pilot program. So if we can't put people on planes, because, you know, there's what 300 seats on a plane. So that's obviously inside of a cabin, that's no bigger than 30 feet long and eight feet wide. Why then are we going to have a school to teach people to do that if if we're not going to allow, so, you know what I mean? So, but what are you saying? Like so then like the tuition should be dropped or the programs should be put on hold? I think we need to look, I think we need to look at the fact that we have to function in a society that we have to, we have to be around each uh, okay. other. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We, so that, I think that goes more like with Corona stuff more so than like educational policies. And I'm not saying you're wrong at all, but I was just, I wanted to kind of, um, if to move on to another topic, if you had said what you, um, I, I, now I'm getting clunky with my words. If there was anything else you wanted to speak about with just education, I, I think the Corona stuff, you're dead on, man. Like if we're going to have this stuff, we got to get around people. That's what the world is. You get around people hundred percent. So as far as the education, I think I pretty much, I know I have a team of people who we've had meetings with people. So we're starting to form our groups. So we're starting to form people because we need think tanks. You know what I mean? And a think tank of one is not going to do it. So if any of your listeners out there, you know, have ideas, they want to get involved. They want to step up. They want to be a, a part of the solution. Now is the time to do that. Like now's the time to raise your hand and say, you know what? I've got some good ideas. I have some experience. Let me come in on this now because it is going to take time. You know, we're, we don't know what we're all going to be dealing with, but let's, 
let's let's lay out a map. Let's lay out a plan for the future. Gotcha. So that would be the only other thing that I would say in regards to education right now okay. is that you know we need a plan for the you know we need a plan for this. And for that, we need, you know, we need people to come in and to start thinking about, you know, really thinking about things and thinking outside of the box. With you. Okay, cool. Yeah, anybody, I'm sure your website. And what is the name of your website if they wanted to get a hold of you? It's, it is um, electcathydematius.com. Cool. And I'll put that in the description. And I'm sure there's like a, hey, contact me kind of a thing. There um, is, there is. And um, my phone number is on there. It goes right to my personal um Phone, you know, it goes right to my uh, cell phone that I always, you know, have on me. So right. I can, you know, very easy for me to ask questions um, because of technology and because of so many ways for people to connect me or, you know, or to be able to yeah, connect, connect you know, you. people use messenger. Some people use emails. The quickest way is literally to text me <laughs> because at least it'll flash. There'll be a ding there. There'll be a message. And I can at least look at the message and know whether I can respond right away, send a message and say, I'll call you tomorrow, like right. whatever it is. It's, it's the quickest it's the quickest way for me to glance at something and be able to execute right afterwards in the fastest manner possible. Because I think you had sent the message through messenger and I think that was on the 4th or 5th of July. And I just didn't see it until then because there's just too many platforms to deal with. hundred percent. You need a, you need an assistant to just deal with your platforms. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely would. Um, Especially if you're running, you're trying to get yourself out there. Um, you had mentioned Delaware's GDP growth for at zero percent. So I wanted to spend a little bit of time just getting your ideas of what you would do to, I guess, increase GDP in Delaware, or just talk business in general. Some of your ideas in, about how in, to improve right. business conditions in Delaware. So one of so I've got several ideas that I have um, that I've actually put to paper already. They're put to paper and they're actually published. And one of my ideas that I have been looking to do, I met with the mayor of Dover a couple of weeks ago. And what I want to do is try to entice GM to come on back. Hmm. And we're looking at bringing auto manufacturing in and we want to wrap the cannabis industry inside of that with hemp. We know um, we've met with, um, there's a company based out of Colorado that has been perfecting um, a composite using hemp that is being, that they're replacing quarter panels, hoods of the car, things like that, the plastics that are built inside of the car. Oh my God, no so, way. I have not yeah, heard of this. Hemp? Yeah. I thought yeah. you were going to go like cloth, instead of like leather seats, you get hemp seats. Actual I think corner that panels? would be really cool. I Dude. think it would be really, really cool. Oh, that would be cool too, but I had no idea that they could make it that dense. Yes. Yes. There's a company out of Colorado and, and, um, and my husband and I spent all last year touring all around the country, meeting with, um, the leading, you know, cannabis leaders, um, hemp growers all around and people who have been, you know, people who are working on manufacturing the fuel, all these different types of things. So we spent all of last year, when I tell you, I've already been working as the governor trying to bring these jobs back to Delaware. I've already been doing it. This is what I've been doing. I just haven't had the paycheck to, <laughs> to back it up. I've so, been doing it. You know, I, I use the funds for my home 
to fund myself to do everything that I was doing for this. And what are you hearing from GM as far as like coming back to, I, and I actually didn't know, again, my ignorance. I didn't know, was GM formerly in Dover? GM was not in Dover. Okay, GM I didn't think was so. up in Newport. Gotcha. GM was in Newport. So then why and go to Dover for that? The reason why I want to go to Dover, um, number one is it centralizes in the state and we would be able to pull people from Newcastle County plus Sussex County. Uh, so it gives it gives members, you know, of the whole state of Delaware um job centralized access to a big manufacturer, gotcha. like a big, big. And because we're looking to bring so we want to entice GM to come back is what we want to do. So from my position as to where I'm at, I've not been able to contact, I've not been able to make that contact with GM yet. But what I did was um I cre- I created um I, I had this vision to bring Pontiac racing back. Um, I, I, I just kept seeing, you know, like, and we knew that the body has been done, but they put a Chevy motor in it. Well, if we were able to get the rights, whether we purchased the rights to be able to do it because it's technically a dead car. So, you know, the idea is, is like, do we bring the car back to life? What do we need to do to bring the car back to life? So let's just assume that the plans go, you know, forward in motion. We have a manufacturing facility in Dover that is producing this car to be able to produce the car as authentic as possible and create as much jobs as possible we need to build the pontiac 400 motor to do that requires another whole entire factory we wouldn't be using the chevy motor we're using the pontiac motor so a whole new factory a whole new jobs and our agriculture our farmers are growing the hemp that is going to be used to fabricate the car how cool is that so and it might be again my ignorance. Um, th- would like the state of Delaware own the rights to pon- like they would buy the Pontiac, or you would hope like I private don't know investment? If that's possible, but I'm one of those type of people that says let's Idealist. come to the table and see <laughs> what our possibilities are. Right, like what you. are the possibilities to be able to do this? You know what what could we do? So, you know, what would we be able to do? Number one, I think it would be as far as giving a lifeline, it would be like giving a blood injection to NASCAR Mm. for one thing. You know what I mean? Because they're missing that car. There was an excitement that came with Pontiac, you know, a huge excitement that that came with that. And we saw that with the resurgence when the Transformers movie came out. Do you remember when Transformers came out? What car was the the car that was the eye behind the prize? You know, I do not. I, I unfortunately, it was I was the not, Chevy Camaro. I was okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, I do remember that then. It was the Chevy Camaro. So I'm going to tell you something, and this is a synchronicity. So I'm not sure if you understand how synchronous. You know, like when I say a synchronicity. So when I was writing my first book, I. I published it. And two days after I published it, I had been talking with this woman on Facebook by the name of Shantae Gibson. And she had posted on Facebook that she was going to have a movie. And one of the things that one of the parts, the people that they were looking for in her movie, they were looking for a couple 
and the couple needed to be devoted to each other. Well, wherever in a movie script would you see a requirement for a couple to come in and play a part and that their role says they need to be devoted to each other and it was married at least 10 years. My first book was titled My Journey to the Center of Love, How I Learned to Love Myself and Not Lose My Husband. So it was basically what I did, you know, even though we were going through issues, what we did to keep our marriage together and and to be able to weather the storms of life and it not take us down. So I wrote about all the things that I did that helped us to keep our bond together. And my husband and I are both ordained ministers as well. So Hmm. what we built was based upon what we were doing in our own personal life. So from there, I wound up, uh, we wound up getting that part to the movie. Shantae Gibson is the sister to Tyrese Gibson, who did the Fast and the Furious. But I had already been writing my second book which was my plans for the future. And inside that book, we featured the Pontiac Trans Am as the, it was the car that one of the guys drove and it was his, you know, it it shows up, the car shows up into a lot of things. And the guy who owns this car has got a lot of dreams and he wants to bring this car back to life. So this is the story that I already wrote when I somehow connected to the woman who's the sister, who's the the sister to a guy who was inside the other trans inside the Transformers movies. So the coincidence behind that was unreal. It was absolutely unreal. I, I, how could I have done that? Like what was, what was the likelihood that something like that would have happened? Hmm. And all that to say, that's why Pontiac matters so much to you. <laughs> it's why Pontiac does matter to me. Um, number one, to give it the Chevy motor, it it just isn't going to it isn't going to cut it. It's not going to bring new jobs to build huh. that four hundred motor. It's going to build. It's going to bring new jobs gotcha. to to turn the material, the car, you know, like our quarter fan, our quarter, you know, all the materials that go inside the car from the seats, the fabrics to the plastics and our steering wheels, all that stuff can come from hemp. So the fact that we could build it here, that our refinery can process and turn a fuel here. So we keep Delaware city pumping because we'll have a fuel that the car will run on based upon what we're literally growing growing wait can you use hemp as fuel as well yeah yeah are you serious oh wow yeah like so many people don't realize all i guess that would be be used it's like ethanol right like because corn gets put into fuel so why not hemp? right there from what according to my husband says the ethanol is not a good but we don't know what the blend ratios would be until you know, because we haven't really had hemp to be able to play around with. Right. But, you know, when you think of hemp and you think of corn, hey, what what those two things would go really good together. <laughs> Both ways. Give me some popcorn with some cannabis infused butter <laughs> so uh, I can watch it at the movie of the cannabis infused car. How cool is that? So and then um, I, since and we're houses. talking about. Since we're talking about business anyway, um, I'm going to assume then 
with legalized marijuana, is there some sort of the distribution or business plan for people? I, I guess what to be, I guess, clear and cleaner with it, your stance on legalizing marijuana is free the plant to the people. It belongs <laughs> to the people. It does not belong to the government. It belongs to the people. And now just talk about how that helps Delaware businesses. How that helps Delaware. <laughs> number one, free enterprise is what like um, when people can participate in the free the free enterprise system and they can take their product there's competition. So right now we have no competition. We, we've got what, two, three people, four, no competition. And it was all handed to people. It, it, it all went out to people with money, but that's not what built it. The people that built the cannabis industry were people who virtually had no money, who paid the price for learning with this. And their price tag has been being paid off over in the prisons. So mm. we know that, you know, like it's, it's not rocket science that all of this happened. We know that it happened like this. So what I want to do is reverse that and put it back into the hands of the people who have believed in this plant the whole entire time and have been persecuted for their belief in this plant. Because they're the ones that, they're the ones, the reason why it's even here is because they fought for it. You know, they fought for it, whether they were um, using it to feel better. I mean, and, and people have to realize that food is medicine. We, we don't think about that. We, we have become, you know, for whatever word, Supplements. lack of words, brainwashed to believe that medicine comes from the pharmacy inside yeah. of your, or doctors and stuff like that. When biblically and and how our world was you know generated is it comes from plants you know this is where our medicine comes from even dupont the medicine that all that was synthesized plant medicine it wasn't it it took you know it's all derived from the plant so they took the plant took 90 percent out of the plant took it and you know, put all this synthetic stuff in it, which our body does not recognize. Yeah, hard to we process. don't recognize, um, you know, our body knows how to digest butter. Our body does not know how to digest margarine because it's a plastic. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I've, I've been on that kick. Just, um, it's funny, man, maybe like 10 years ago, just trying to get as less processed as possible with eating. Um, but so tell me, how does legalizing pot help Delaware's economy? It, it can help Delaware's economy from all the different things. That free market system, when you, as your business, so let's just say, let's just say you get a hundred acres and you're able to grow, um, you're able to grow um, um, a product that you can turn into. Let's just say. Um, um, uh, you decide to make ice cream with it. Let, let, let's just go with that one. Like you decide okay. that you're going to make the first cannabis infused ice cream in the state of Delaware. Whatever your sales are that year, you're going to pay quarterly what your business grossed in revenue. You're going to pay a tax on that. So then you start pumping into the economy. If 15, 20, 100, 300 other people 
are doing the same thing or a product in comparison, then that's all those people who, and it'll be survival of the fittest. Who does, it's no different than a pizzeria down the street. Seasons Pizza, and we'll, let's look at Seasons Pizza because Seasons is pretty much, I'm not, not sure if it's downstate, but I know it's, you know, Newcastle County and Kent County. They started with one. And, you know, they built all those other locations, but there's other companies that have come in and, you know, they offer great, you know, food too. So it's survival of the fittest. Who's got the best plan, the best product, the best marketing. And the the only way for that to happen is when people can come in and play the game. Mm. If you don't allow people to play the game, then, you know, you're you're not allowing for people to be able to tap their fullest potential. And so it's no different with, it's like if we were to say tomatoes, like if we were to start growing tomatoes throughout the state and we were known for tomatoes, which before we were known for peaches. So remember, Delaware's flower was the state flower. The state tree is the um, holly tree. Uh, what's that say? takes a village and um like it it takes a village for all of us to do this so when we all can come together and basically pull our bootstraps up come in together for this and build something we're going to be able to build an economy in delaware that is so strong and we're going to have products that are going to be able to go out. So not only have I been looking at manufacturing in the car industry, I've been also looking at manufacturing in um, the uh, bath and body works industry. And I put together a plan that we're going to be able to go and, and work with the people inside of our prisons, as well as the handicapped people that can of Delaware and people and, you know, anybody with like a cognitive disability or bipolar or whatever it could, whatever it is, is their diagnosis. We have a plan that we can all work together to be able to build these products. So the we Bath have, and Body Works is connected somehow to the cannabis? No, 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 no. It's not Bath and Body Works, but it's like Bath and Body Products. Bath and Body Products. Right. Bath. It's, the company is actually called Fubella's. I built it. I have over 39 products. I have products that we that I manufactured that we found got rid of the flu in less than two hours. So I petitioned the state of Delaware to put it into a pilot program, and I told them I would give it to them for free. I actually sent messages to Chris Coons. I sent messages and my plans to Mike Ramon, and I sent them also to John Carney three years ago, and every single one of them ignored me. And I kept saying to them, I said, look, you guys, I don't know what this could do for COVID. Let's see what this could do. Like, I can get it manufactured in a day. I can put this product together. Let's see what this does. What if it helps? I literally had the door slammed in my face. So I'm sitting here knowing that I built products that helps people and I'm taking them to my state saying, look, I'm willing to give it to you guys for free. Let's help the people. Let's see what this does. But until we put it into a pilot program, we're not going to know what it does. I know what it did in my private practice. I know what it did there, but it wasn't in like a huge field practice. So we don't know what it could do. And what's the connection? What were you saying about the prisoners and people with cognitive disabilities? Are you talking about like jobs? 
Yes. Okay, and the way so we have it, it so the way we have it set up is that we have exit programs for people in the prison that they would be able to once they leave the prison, they'll have housing and that they walk into a job. So they have a smooth transition and and something for them so as they're exiting out they have something as a step up for them yeah. and the idea was to vest them in it so so as they're learning how to do things they're going to learn how to you know make their own things like whatever is calling to them they could want you know we need to find out what their gifts are what each person's gifts are all oh, of us sure. were born with a gift so- we all have something that is our talent. And, and what we need to do is to figure out what these people's and all of our talents are and then use that for good. But they need to be rewarded. And so many times people have just had their, you know, like, you know, a child usually will get their trauma by age three. Whatever their trauma is, usually comes by age three and then layers build up from there. So we've got so many people who are so emotionally wounded from the things that they've experienced that they need emotional healing. And that's not happening in a lot of places, which shows us, you know, and we're seeing that with our drug issues, we're seeing that inside prisons, we're seeing that inside homelessness. So we're looking at ways where we can actually start to heal the body, mind, and yeah, soul. Yeah, well, it's empowering. Because think about it, if you came out of jail and you had to go work in a chicken plant or you had to go hold a stop sign up for construction, I mean, those are just, uh, it, they're, it's hard work. It's a grind to do that day in and day out. And it's honestly, I I don't think it's very fulfilling. I think you're doing it because you need money and that's the job you can get. So I I like the concept of trying to take people and empowering them. And I think that goes to your free market, back to cannabis, now to bath body products, like providing opportunities for people to do things that they are passionate about and making their own business way and money with it. It seems right. like that that's kind of a theme I'm getting from you. That that's exactly what it, that's exactly how it is that because we wanted to be able to give them that opportunity to empower themselves, to create generational wealth for themselves. And 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 yeah. it's just or at finding, least generational sustainability of decent right. living. Does it it doesn't even have to be like overly wealthy. A lot of people would be extremely happy just being middle class and consistent. I think a lot of people are extremely happy being middle class and and there's a beauty to that. Like I've been an entrepreneur my whole entire life. You know, I'm a go-getter. I was a massage therapist and an esthetician. I packed my massage table up and was at the Hotel DuPont nearly every night. I was always, you know, I I had clients, you know, all up and down 52. I worked at day spas. I worked, you know what I mean? Like I worked to put food on the table for my kids. And I lived that middle income, you know, happy life. And then about six, seven years ago, we saw where the, I would call it the attack on our industry came in because that's when Groupons came in and, and we, our services began to get devalued. Oh, with Groupons? Really? Oh my God. 
you can't do a massage for $7 and pay all your continuing education units. And that's what wound up happening is people like if you bought a hair coupon to get your hair highlighted, Mm -hmm. it costs us about $10 in material to to highlight your hair. So if you only paid, so what happened if that was normally like a hundred dollar appointment to entice you to buy it, we had to take, they took it down to $50. So then only $50. So it's already went on sale by 50%. And now Groupon gets to make their cut. So they took $25. So now $25 came to the salon. So then now the salon takes half of it. 1250. It leaves the technician with 1250. So then wouldn't the counter argument in a free market system be you should be jumping on that Groupon (laughs) more so and you should ditch the massage table (laughs) and ditch the massage table. Yeah. So like it would, it would say like, well, there's clearly a market shift, right? Like the, the, the entrepreneur or the um, income opportunity now has shifted to a digital platform. So maybe you want to get away from the massage table and get more into the selling coupons of the massage table. Actually, what I did was write the curriculum to teach the people how to do it so that you would have step-by-step instructions so that you and your spouse would be able to give this to each other. So that was 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 the way I did it. Yeah, and I was talking just more broadly, not about you specifically, um, because I just get get interested in the free market concepts. No, you actually, because the bottom line is, in a society now that's six feet across, you know, like how is a massage therapist going to be able to do their job? But the, so because so many people now are afraid to touch other people, touch is vital. We know that if a baby is not touched, oh, when yeah. that baby, the baby will have failure to thrive. The baby will die. You know, we know that, but we know as human beings, we, we, we crave the touch of another person, you know, like when we're upset and we're crying, we want someone to hug us. If we bang our leg on a table, we're going to rub where we banged it for it to feel better. Kiss the boo-boo. So, <laughs> huh? Kiss the boo-boo, right? Like how many right. kids kiss just run boo-boo. and then right. all of a sudden kiss mommy kisses and it and it's completely fine. And you're like, and is it? It's, <laughs> but, it, and the thing about it is, is it usually is. Yeah. Right. So exactly. If you, if you it, it usually is because it has to do with that somebody else saw your wound yeah, and they came to your rescue. Which, and it, it had nothing to do with could they wipe away the pain. It was the love behind the gesture. Yeah. And and I, I'm again, I'm trying to just so that when the pod posts, I can go more um, timestamps so people can check out the themes. And um, what I'm getting from a lot of your economic stuff is it's very holistic in approach. It's, it's very holistic. It's not in just like approach. a money maker. Hey, man, here's how you. I'm gonna cut. Um, I'm gonna deregulate inspections. I'm gonna slice in half business applications so that you can get say, money. But I wouldn't oh, no, say no, no, deregulations. So there's. So I, so like I'm not gonna deregulate what they do with like say the massage therapy board. You, but oh, no, they're, no. They're, I'm not asking them to put a shingle out and and take. It's for your personal, you know what I mean? But like for you to, what does I, that make sense? Yeah, yeah, but what I was saying, and I wasn't saying you were doing that. What I'm thinking is I've spoken and heard people, that is their way of stimulation is like, I'm going to 
deregulate. I'm going to cut the fees. I'm going to make it cheaper to start a business where it seems like you are more about the opportunity of what is out there. Let's try to get an infrastructure going for people who need this to stimulate and be empowered. It's a, right. it's kind of a different take on, I don't know, I guess government. It's interesting. It is. I hadn't thought. Have you heard of millionaire mindset or the secret? Um, Do you know? I believe like, I've heard of the secret, okay, but I've not secret, read it. You've not read it. The secret is about 20 years old, probably about 20 years old. And there is a movie. So I would recommend, you know, if you haven't read it, look it up, you know, or, or look up the movie. And, and there's another thing called millionaire mindset. And it's all about shifting your brain to, I can't from, I can't to, I can, I will, I, you know what I mean? And it's okay. about choosing words that we know, like we know within our brain, the research has showed that if you keep telling somebody, no, 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 their brain is going to rewire to no, and everything for them is going to be a negative in their mm -hmm. life. They're going to see no hope, no chance of recovery. Everything is, I can't do that. And that's gotcha. depressing. It is. Yeah. If, so it's referred it's very, to, I'm no, I know it as like the growth mindset. I don't know if that's a part of the secret, but that's what I, it would be referred it, to. I would say yes, because it's about taking that word no and turning it into yes, I can. So whatever yeah. it is that your idea is, so whatever, whatever it is that you think that you can do, just believe that you can do it. It doesn't mean that you're going to win every single solitary time because you don't know what you don't know what you're supposed to be learning in one particular situation. And that one situation could be the information that you need. That's going to take you to the next step. And it's the next step that's going to where the success is going to be because you needed to get all the bugs out of the system for lack of better words. The <laughs> millionaire mindset is all based upon positive affirmations it's based upon being able to see your goals so we use vision boards for that you know like well you know like whatever it is that you're like if you were to ask a little kid what do you want to be when you grow up you know what i mean like if they want to be a doctor so then what do you so if they're saying at age five i want to be a doctor then the pictures that you're going to fill your child with is a picture of a, a person, you know, in a doctor's coat. Yeah, that looks like or them so that they have the role model. pictures of Norman Rockwell, you know, with the doctor, you know, you know, giving the little boy's knee attention. Things that are going to foster that dream. Things that are going to encourage yeah. that dream to grow. But if your little girl says to you, Dad, I want to be, I want to be a... Uh, um, um, you know, like I, I, I want to be a, a nurse and you're looking at her going, huh, I was thinking you were going to be a lawyer. <laughs> so then, and so then you start projecting on her, well, I want you to be a lawyer, but she's going, dad, I, I said, I wanted to be a doctor. You know what I mean? Then you're not supporting what she is saying. So then they're you know, that conflict starts to happen because many of us as parents, you know, we give birth to our kids and we see all the potential 
you know, that they have. And nine times out of 10, it's all the things that we didn't do right. that we're projecting onto them because we didn't follow through on our dreams. And, and that's because we just didn't, we weren't nurtured. We weren't fed that we could get our dreams. We were fed that you would never accomplish anything in life without a college degree. That's what you and I were fed. Yeah. That's what we were fed, that we would never get anywhere in life without a college degree. So some people have gone into life a hundred grand in debt before they ever made $50,000. And I'm going to, I'm going to just to stay with your, I can, I can't. Some people are beat over the head before that because they feel like a failure since school is so hard and they feel like, well, if I can't do high school, I can't do middle school. I have no chance in college. I actually hate school. I want to be outside. Right. I want to work. So now I'm going to be a failure because I'm not in college. Right. And that I, and seeing that's what, that's what my generation, I remember hearing that all the time. I always remember hearing that if you don't go to college, you won't have, you won't amount to anything in life. I went to trade schools. My right. ex-husband went to electrical school. He did the yeah. trades. He he made a very good living and was able to take care of himself. Right. I was a massage therapist. I made good money. I made $1,500 a week 20 years ago. Yeah, wow. 20 years ago, I was bringing home that kind of money Is that with the tips? <laughs> did you that claim all good. the tips? <laughs> huh? I said, is that with the tips that you claimed for your income taxes? <laughs> Probably, yeah. So I grew I up mean, as a waiter. So I guess I always like, when, when, you're, when you're in like the cash tip industry, it's always uh -huh. like that, you know, you always try to get around claiming every single little bit of your tips. That's well, right. You, you try to because to <laughs> they penalize us for that and they we get do. charged a higher tax bracket right. for being entrepreneurs. Yeah. We're penalized for being entrepreneurs. So, and so you learn to start figuring out ways to keep more of your money right. as an entrepreneur. You keep all of your money for the most part because you can, because the way the tax laws are all set up, Reinvest. you can deduct so much stuff. Yeah. You can deduct your cell phone bill, your car payment, gas, your insurance, depending upon, are you using that car for work? You know, like, you know, your accountant determines all of that at the end, but you know, the bottom line is, is what, you know, what you're, you know, what you put in is what you, is what you get out of it. And we know as entrepreneurs, most of us, number one, we don't have somebody telling us when to come in, when, when to, we don't have someone over top of us, yeah. like you no scheduled, <laughs> you know what I mean? You, yeah. you have control. You have control of everything that you do. You're in charge of your destiny. And there's a saying that says an entrepreneur is a crazy person that risks their money for freedom instead of exchanging their freedom for money. Wow. And we know, like, saying. let's just say you're a nurse. Let's just say, okay, you're a teacher. You are a teacher. So we know that you, so right now you could be making $25 an hour at school, but if you were, if you were, if you had a side business going on and you were tutoring, you'd be closer to $60 an hour tutoring a kid. Right. 
You know what I mean? So hourly. I mean, if you knew you, how good I would, it would, if you knew how good I was with all my credentials, it would actually be closer to a hundred. Humble brags. So if I knew how good you are, not was. So that's look at, that's let's how look bad I am words. as a tutor. Look, I just crushed my value. Now I'm down to thirty dollars because I can't even get grammar right. <laughs> Or I can't but, get grammar correct. Wait, which one? No, I'm it, just kidding. Well, it's not that. It's just you, it's just choosing a word that empowers you. Right. Because you still have that ability to do that. You're actually a smarter teacher than what you were last year. You have – and look at what you're doing now. So, so you know, between what you were doing as a school teacher and what you're doing now as an entrepreneur, as a podcaster, in doing that and how you're reaching out, you're you're leading the way for the new industry as far as how television is being done because we know television is changing. It's why we have Roku, Netflix. You know, we've got all of those other things because the industry is changing. So you are in a position right now where you you literally 10 years from now could have your own broadcasting station. You could have other people working under you, you know what I mean, doing yeah. their podcast at certain times. You just don't know, you know, what's coming down the pike. Yeah, no, and that's true. So, and to kind of tie it back to business, and I have two things. Number one, in your husband being, um, I'm sorry, your ex-husband being an electrician, I feel like that you could take that with this podcasting. You start off, you start learning your own trait, you start building, and then you can branch out and create your own business if you want. Then you would be able to hire others because you've taken the time, you've learned the skills, you've built the foundation. Right, you built the foundation. And I've definitely seen that um, format with podcasts, especially with the Bill Simmons one called The Ringer, where he just started off hired from someone, sponsored. He was paid to produce podcasts, and then he understood the industry, went out on his own, teamed up, and now he has like 40 different people under him in all types of subjects podcasting for him. It's almost like a pyramid scheme is a bad word, but it's like an umbrella of support right. where it's other people get to learn from him and get the advantage of his audience and his name recognition. Right. And, and I, I'm glad that you brought up the name, you know, uh, brought up pyramid scheme because they say, Oh, that's a pyramid scheme. Everything is look at our dollar bill for crying out loud. It has a pyramid on the <laughs> back of it. Everything works that way. And you start off at the bottom and then you work your way on up to the top, but yeah. there's always a trickle down. There, there's always a trickle down you know, stuff trickles down. But when you think about that foundation on the bottom, you know, like that's that block up at the top of the pyramid would not be able to be at the top of that pyramid. If it wasn't for the fact that of all the blocks that were underneath of it, that supported it to get up to the top and everything works that way. Look at all the people that it's going to take to be able to bring one candidate up to the top. Yeah. You know what I mean? It million. takes a village. I, I actually was looking up while you were speaking because I had no idea um, how many votes Governor Carney received in 2016. Quarter million. Quarter million right. votes. So it's 25% of Delaware voted for him. 248,000 people. Like that, that. That's a lot of bricks on the bottom to get someone that's up That's a lot of bricks, you know, on the bottom. Um, and he was coming off of you know, a Jack Markell administration. And we've traditionally, you know, we've been Democrat governor in the state for the last 20 some odd years. Well, 
we've got a GDP of zero, maybe we should change. Maybe we should change. Maybe we should just start to look at something a little differently. Let me ask you about, again, I'm sorry to cut you off, but I wanted to, with the entrepreneurship, I'm interested on your position of um, minimum wage. So from what I understand, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, there's a federal mandate for how much you have to pay, but then states can always say our state minimum wage can be above. It just cannot be below. Am I correct in that? I'd have to look at that to, I'd have to look at that to, to, to double check all of that. Right. To, I, the reason you know, I to feel, for- the reason I feel like I know that I thought it happened in um, Washington, especially Seattle, like even the town of Seattle said our minimum wage is going to be $15 an hour. I believe I was reading that like a year ago. But anyway, regardless, I'm interested on your your stance or your views on minimum wage. Minimal wage is, to me, that's something, a minimal wage job is, is the job that you want your children to have. For them to, to um, get their foot in the door of what it's like to work, what it's like to bring money in. For as no one can survive on minimal wage and buy a house, right? You just can't. Well, it's not designed to be, right? Right. It's right. It's 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 not designed to be. But many people have have turned careers or have fallen into that where they can only make minimal wage. And I think that has more to do with that they don't understand the power inside of them. When you and I were kids, we when when I was 16 years old and I went to the McDonald's in the drive-through, it was all my friends from high school who were working in there. There was only a handful of people who were managers, you know, that yeah. that you know, and that pay grade was higher. But the girl who I'm thinking of, you know, in the top of my head who was, you know, taking the order at McDonald's, she's now a nurse and has been a nurse for the last yeah. 20 some odd years. It was just, it was just a jump start. That's all that it was. Yeah. And I would- discretionary income. Minimum wage basically was meant for teen. I don't know if it was meant for, but I think ideally it's like a job for either a senior citizen to stay active who's on retirement or- a child, a high school student who's looking to earn a little extra money to get some better clothes, to maybe have some gas money, take people out on dates, have hang out with their friends. But I don't think minimum wage was intended to sustain people. Right. And that's, and this is the thing, this is where I thought that this was a dangerous when, when they were, I, I thought that this was dangerous to con, to convince people that minimum, you know, that, because minimum wage, $15 an hour, is not enough to survive on. No, and I, I, I don't even think that's actually – I think the law might even be 10 or 11. I'll, I'll look it up while you're uh, speaking. Sorry. Okay. So – but it's not enough to survive on. You're not going to be able to pay – like you'll be able to rent a room from somebody for that amount of money. You know what I mean? For – you know, you should be able to pay your rent or your mortgage based upon one week's paycheck. Well, the average place that you're, you know, the average two bedroom hmm. unit in an apartment right now is probably $1,000, which means you're going to need two or three people working at minimal wage on that lease to be able to pay that one week. So we're, we're, we're going about this wrong. We're going about this the wrong way. We need to flip that and start to empower people 
to move on to to take some risks. And so according to the um, Department of Labor.gov, federal minimum wage 725, although many states have minimum wage laws where it can be above. Apparently, Georgia, though, the minimum wage is 525. Damn, 525. <laughs> Cost of living, though, in Georgia is yeah. actually, if you've ever been down there, it's cheaper. So depending right. upon where you're at for cost of living, you know, so, it, it just depends upon, you know, what your variables are yeah, that you're yeah. looking at. Absolutely. And it, so the more I speak to you, the more I'm interested. And I absolutely do not mean this in, in an insulting way when I say it, um, because I think it's kind of refreshing. But it's super interesting to me that you're running for governor with such like a holistic, almost like individual approach. And I keep going into my head, like, how can government get to individuals like that to empower individuals? Because it's so holistic. You know what? Um, Was that insulting? I I really didn't mean it. No, it's not insulting because I think the problem is, is that government hasn't been able to do it the way they've been doing it. So then maybe it's time to flip the approach and to start looking at things from that entrepreneur spirit, from that individualized way. And, and and if the individual, if 20 individuals inside of a group are empowered and believe in what they're doing, what could those 20 individuals build together? You and I could build, we could, you and I could build those cars. If we had 20 empowered people who believed in themselves, we could be in so much of a better position than if we only have one person who believes in themselves and the 30 other people who don't, because then they have no hope for themselves. So then that one person has got to try to carry not only lift those people but carry and that's what we've been doing our government is carrying people but we can only afford to carry them for the basics in life just enough to keep them alive not enough for them to thrive just enough for them to to so that they can get month to month to month with the roof over their head. And I believe, you know, from, and you know, the hardest part is going to be able to change an adult's mindset, but a child, if we have the ability to teach that child and empower that child from the get go to find what they're, you know, like to empower them from the very beginning and find out, you know, because we're going to have different goals throughout life. You know, a, a five-year-old, their goal could be that they want a chocolate chip cookie dessert. at the end of the day. It's always dessert. Their goal 100% is dessert. Is dessert. <laughs> so then if that's the case, then what does that child need to do in order to be able to get that cookie? Yeah. They need to be taught how to make the cookie. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like teach teach somebody how to do something and they will be able to fend for themselves for the rest of their life. People think going to getting food means going down to the corner store and pulling a package off the shelf or a can of tomato soup off the shelf. Or driving through McDonald's. Right. Or driving (laughs) through McDonald's. They don't know. You mean I have to take a chicken out of the package I have to cut it up. I have to do, they don't know how to do that. And, and that's because we, 
I think we as parents, you know, we sort of fed into this this mind system that, you know, oh, teach your kid how to work on the computer. They'll be sat in front of a monitor. This is what they'll do eight hours a day, 40 hours a week on their drive home. They'll stop and pick up their kids. They'll run through the 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 McDonald's. Bah, 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 I'm loving it. And then they're going to go home and hurry up and get the homework done and try to get everything done so that they don't get hate mail from you the next day going, <laughs> how come Johnny didn't get his math assignment done? And you know, when the mother is freaking out because she's like, oh my God, I'm getting hit in all these different directions and I still can't pay the rent. You know, like, it's like, this is, we're on a, we have been on a course for us to self-destruct and we're, and lo and behold, we're self-destructing. Right. It's right on schedule. So the only thing that's going to come from this is we're going to rebuild. So I went with the millionaire mindset and that was the tools that I used. I used about empowering yourself and building, uh, building our children up to believe in themselves. And they're the easiest one to teach. But if we can't reach enough voter demographics that can believe in this. And if you look at self-help books, where are self-help books at in the library? Where do you find them? Unsure, to be honest with you. I've never. In the back. Oh, huh. In the back, in the back. They must not be, are they not just checked out enough? <laughs> are they it, low interest? It, it's Is not that, why? that. It's just that <laughs> every time we get self-help, you're like, oh my God, more education. I'm not, you know, like, it, it's like, oh, I got to go to school again. I got to do this. People are tired of that. What they like is to be entertained. Oh, I see what you're saying now. Yeah. So what I did, so what my plan was, was to help heal the nation. And, and I wrote the plan for the whole United States. I did. I wrote the plan for the whole United States and I have satellites in seven states between book one and book two. I set my plan, you know, for it to grow out. You know, I set my plan for it to grow out. So the idea behind that is that as we become successful here in Delaware with this plan, we will attract other people from other states that are going to want to look at our model and what we did. And then as we continue to do this, then we'll create a wave of prosperity and, and a success, wave of healing. And the success is based on like a GDP percent growth. Like you just financially all of a sudden see, wow, people in Delaware are making a bunch of money. I think Is it's the from the whole point about we've got to look at everything here in Delaware from all the different angles. Number one, we're a very sick state. We have high rates of cancer here. We have high rates of mental illness here. Um, pollution, you know, like we have all these different, you know, we can't, I mean, it, this is just, and as a politician, you can't run on one platform. If you're a one platform person, no, you just keep writing, you just keep writing poetry. <laughs> if you're just, you know, if you're just one platform, um, yeah, Delaware, the first state. Like we have to lead again. Like we have to be in a position where we start to lead. So then you're going with the physical, mental, illnesses, pollution, then you're also talking about Delaware being a, I guess, an example of financial prosperity? Yes, financial. So mind, body, spirit. So when we can, when we can heal the wounds, the things that um, basically have deteriorated our 
it, our self-esteem, if we believe that we can't, if our self-esteem is in the can and we have this mindset that we are of no value, Man, it that is. there is... I'm, I'm sorry so to when, interrupt you. It's just so hard for me to wrap my mind around um, like a governor or a government agency being like, we just need to have a better mindset. Like, I don't, I don't know the practical, the practicality of how that, how the government can help change that mindset is what I keep getting stuck on in my head. Okay. So this would be, it's not that it's the government, it's who you have as governor. Oh, okay. So but so, just by speaking about it, kind of a thing, being a, being a proponent of it, an advocate of it, bringing it up, it's empowering people to hear it. They get the examples and then it's, right. mine, it's leader. Gotcha. Gotcha, gotcha. Right. I'm with you now. That and, was great. And they're looking for a change anyway. So one of the things that we hear all the time is um, we already know that politics is broken. We already know politicians are crooked. We're seeing it all. Over. So why do we want to bring another politician in? Why would we want to do that? No, I, I, it definitely helped Trump. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like that was, that was his, that was his big thing. Um, so to put a, um, a bow on business. So we've got the GM, the cannabis idea, the, um, legalization, the free market system, which could lead to all sorts of entrepreneurial avenues. We've got that body. Sorts. No, yeah. Cause Literally, it's a whole new product. Sky is the limit. Yeah. And the, the tax base, um, I mean, Colorado made a billion dollars in tax revenue, a bill. They had 6.5, six, just over 6 billion in sales. One billion of that went to the state for tax. So the tax revenue for legalizing pot would be tremendous, you would assume, um, especially right. with the, um, if you get almost like sports betting where you get in early, it's going to be an initial boom like crazy. Is there anything? And it's going to plateau. So remember, yeah. every initial bloom has, has a plateau. Well, it's so we meant know to. that this is, and we've got a, you know what I mean? Like you're going to ride high on the gravy train, but if you're not realizing that there's going to be a plateau. Yeah, period, you can't spend like it's every day. Right. right. You can't spend like it's every day, yeah. but you also have to have somebody in who who's watching this, who has a who 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 can anticipate how the industry is going to shift down the road. And For the sure. best way I look at that is I want you to tell me, is Prego and Ragu spaghetti sauce profitable? Uh, the way you're asking, I want to say no. But I, oh, initially, it, it I most would certainly is. It, oh, yeah? It's okay. profitable. But when you think how many tomatoes are going into a jar of tomato sauce, and most of those products are probably coming in at about 50 cents per pound because we pay about 99 cents to $1.99 retail. So okay. when you look at what, what it literally costs to manufacture something, that's where we're going to, you know, like, You've got to understand, you know, like you've got to look at it from that thing down the road that the product price is going to plateau, especially, you know, um, you know, like look at states, like look at what Oregon does with it um, price wise, but look at how it's helped their states, their budgets and stuff like that. So looking at all of these pictures, looking at the whole entire big picture with this. And we haven't even started to touch on what consuming cannabis does for us. We are spending, so, number one, we know that cannabis will help a person heal from cancer, certain different types of cancers as the research, you know, because more research is being done on this. So is it safe to assume if we 
we know it heals, what can it do from from a prevention point of view? So mm. when we start mm. to look at having our food fortified with CBDs, uh, CBN, like all the different compounds that can come from a plant that doesn't have a psycho um, um, Psych- you know, isn't it you, psychosomatic but, symptoms right, where you don't the get psychosomatic. high? So, but you can do things. Can you imagine if our livestock was able, you know, like here's mother hen walking around, you know, like she's not going to get high from it because it hasn't been cooked. So, but all those benefits that can come from the plant just as it is. So then we then are consuming the food from that point. We have in our bodies, I don't know if you're aware of this, we have what is called the endocannabinoid system. Nope, no idea. Right. You want to know why? Because it's been over 22 years discovered and they are still not putting it into our medical books. Huh. Why? Why? Why uh, not? Big Riddle me that. Big, big so, pharmacy? Lobbyists? <laughs> right. The obvious. So it's the obvious. So we know that our bodies have an endocannabinoid system. The One of the biggest places that we find endocannabinoids, aside from the cannabis plant, is the cocoa plant. What addiction do we have in this country? Opioids, Coke, and chocolate. <laughs> Any woman PMSing, man, we're going for somebody. Give me a Dove bar, man. Like, I'm you just, know what I mean? I'm on Wikipedia. Any woman, so, anyone huh? listening, I'm just um for a definition. Wikipedia endocannabinoid endocannabinoid. System. So E N D O C A. Oh gosh, now I gotta think of myself on a stage at a C A N N A B I N O I D. C A N N O B O I D. Yeah. So endocannabinoids. According to Wikipedia, it's the biological system composed of endocannabinoids, which are indigenous lipid based retrograde neurotransmitters that bind to cannabinoid cannabinoid receptors. Like I don't even know what this does. Why does this matter? Because it's what determines your homeostasis in your body. In regulating physiological and cognitive processes, including fertility, pregnancy, pre-postnatal development, various active of the immune system, appetite, pain, sensation, mood, memory, and meditating. Ah. Yes. And what have we been replacing all of that with over the last, say, 40 years that you and I have been alive? Zyrtex? Yeah, antidepressants, Zyrtex, um, uh, gla- all these other glass synthetic of red wine. medicines, all, all this other synthetic stuff. IPAs. Yes. <laughs> yes. Dogfish, shout out. <laughs> yes. So when you think about this, because huh. what that does is balance your homeostasis. If you're, when you're in homeostasis, what does that mean? You're at peace, man. You're, you're tranquil. You're, you're, you're what you're supposed to be. Right. You're in peace. So we've been denied this as people for over a hundred years now. We've been denied this. So we've been starving our body from a vital nutrient that it wants to maintain its balance. And we've been supplementing it with Ritalin or, um, Jim Bean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, all sorts of stuff. Is. Or sugars, right? Or processed or foods. Sugars. Yeah. Right. I mean, Any, anything that we can do to, tr- because we're desperately trying to main, to get into balance. We're trying to maintain this. And the one key picture, the one key component that's been missing is cannabis. 
And we can get a majority of this stuff without the psychoactive, though, Elements, let's right. be for real. Yeah. I love that psycho, like Friday night at 420. Like, <laughs> why wouldn't I? Everybody else is downing yeah. alcohol yeah, at I mean, the that's, local bar. That's always that's the, the counter, right? Like there's that somewhat of a stigma. And even like I've heard people say, well, man, oh my God, you smoke in front of your kid? And some people will be like, well, do you drink in front of your kid? Yeah, is, is like, there do a difference? You drink in front of your right? kid? Is there a difference in them seeing you have red wine or beers or like you go to a restaurant and order a martini or something? Like, is there a huge difference between that and cannabis consumption? There isn't. There right? isn't a huge. There isn't a huge difference. There isn't a huge difference as far as what the huge difference is. Social stigma. Is that we know cannabis heals, mm. and we know the job of alcohol is to strip the life force out of its host. So what alcohol is used to do is to literally strip the essences out of plants. That's how we got essential oils through a lot of them. Other, huh. some can be steamed, some can, you know, work in other ways, but you know, Man, a that's lot a of great oils. Point. Dude, I never thought about that. But if you think about like alcohol does kill, right? Like if you get a cut, you put alcohol, rubbing alcohol right. on it. And if right. you're consuming it, the alcohol, <laughs> and I know it's not at that level, but that makes sense that it uh, just real basic analogy be like, yeah, I guess that would kill stuff in me. Right. <laughs> and we know cannabis does not. There is no known recorded case of anybody ever dying from cannabis. I've actually had the same argument and we don't have to get into it. Um, but just speaking to different people on this podcast, especially out West about the mm -hmm. psychosomatic benefits of mushrooms. And it's one of those things where I've spoken to a couple people and it's interesting to me because it's like the, the big gateway drug, you're going to go crazy and you, they go like LSD route and they're like, well, actually mushrooms with the psychosomatic help is it, it, it enlightens you. And nobody dies from it. I'm like, are you serious? And then I start thinking, I'm like, when was the last time I did hear of someone dying on an overdose of mushrooms? Right. You know, and it's like, well, it's a natural thing. It's almost like that doesn't, maybe if you eat the wrong type of mushroom, cause you didn't get it the right thing, <laughs> but like just using them, it's a intro, it's a very valid point to say. And I, I think it's something we need to look at. I do think yeah. it's something that we really, really need to look at because if you look at the common denominator in every mass shooting that we have had in this country, the last time I checked it, which was probably honestly two or three years ago, I'm going to be honest with you. The last time I checked was about two or three years ago. Do you know what the common denominator was in every single mass shooting? I'm, I feel like it's going to be alcohol, though I don't know. It wasn't. It's prescription. It's prescription oh, psych medication. Wow. It's it's psych medication is the common denominator wow. in every now granted it's been two or three years so I'd have to go back and, and research as in know, they these, had prescriptions given to them that or that they were yes on? they were already on medicine wow. but if you look at the side effects of a lot of the medicines that were that they used to treat quote you know like these yeah, mental, mental health problems these yeah. imbalances so to speak. Almost nine times out of 10, half the time, literally half the time, one of the side effects could be suicidal thoughts. Right. Wait a minute. I'm taking it. I'm feeling depressed, but you've given me something that could wow. give me, could make it worse. Hey, let's when talk you, about this. And again, I'm sorry, but I love numbers in this way. 
people will take medication where there's like a 40 to 50% chance that they will have erectile dysfunction or suicidal thoughts, but you don't want to go outside because there's a 5% chance you could get COVID. Right. So it's people just, they just don't know. And it's because it was, that's one of the, this is, and I'm going to bring up this particular point. Everybody has been so paranoid and saying, do the right thing. You know, think of somebody else. You could kill somebody else. Okay. I want you to do the right thing now because you could get into your car right now and you could run somebody over or, or by accident crash your car into somebody else and you could kill somebody. So I want you to do the right thing and go turn your driver's license in and give up your right to drive because you could right. essentially kill somebody. Are we supposed to live our life like that? Yeah, I've, I've actually used that analogy as well in the death rates. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so like when you look at that, we do, we have more people who die from car accidents. So are we going to give up our right to drive so that we could save somebody else? I didn't no. mean to divert you. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to divert you off the, the, um, medication, but I just, the percentages of you saying that that's exactly what popped into my mind is people are willing to consume a synthetic medical drug more so than, um, with a higher risk of danger. But like COVID right. gets all this popular, like, um, COVID's the front line, but the opioid and the medication things are so prevalent. They're so they're, much more they're, prevalent. They're so, so then it makes to one death. ask the question, why? With all those other numbers being where they are at, why did we, why did this happen for such a relatively low, uh, for lack of better words, death rate. Yeah, the population. Yeah, I mean, right. originally, you know, flatten the curve. But we've kind of been into that. And I, I was apologizing because I made an analogy that got you sidetracked, I felt. <laughs> and oh, it's I didn't okay. Mean it's to. okay. Hey, you, you know, know, look, squirrel, it's easy. You know? it, it, man, it really is. It, it, it And it's something I'm trying to get better at as a, as a host is, um especially people like you on who um have a platform, you know, people want to know about um, issues that are important to you that you care about. And um, but it's so easy just to get sidetracked and kind of um, shoot the breeze. So and and, and you know something, that, think about of a diamond. A diamond has fifty-seven facets. You get one facet polished, and then you hit the other facet. Does that mean that you're not going to come back to the other facet in the end uh, and look at it? No, you know it's a, it, it, it spins. We're everything will come back around. So I don't true. worry about that. That, well, thank you. That's comforting for me because <laughs> I always feel like, uh, I don't know, just I'm still trying to get new at the whole leading conversations and helping them almost to have a format that allows people to easily like, like if someone's into the business aspects, I want to make sure they can click on the description and get to hear the business aspects. If they're into right. the education, click on that. And if it, if it's sporadically throughout the podcast, then I almost feel like I'm doing them a disservice for their time of listening, which is my mentality. And I don't need to get into my mentality because it's the getting to know you podcast. <laughs> well, I can tell you I'm one of those people who ties things up at the end. So, okay. you know, so, and I think everything that we're dealing with is related. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I, I don't think we have, um, and, and this is, I'll look at, I'll take the body as that example. Our body is wrapped up in a flesh covering, but when you peel off the flesh, we've got muscles, we've got tendons, we've got organs, and they all have to work together to perform a function. Right. 
So it's, it's, it, 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 we naturally come back to something, you know what I mean? Like we might have to come back to something. And I think, I think we have to look at everything from that whole well, because it's all connected, picture. right? I guess when you start talking about topics, like education is related to the economy and it is related to mental health and it is related to physical health as well, right? I mean, right. so it's easy to get into those um, right. buckets. Look buckets at homelessness, merge. homelessness, drug addiction, and prison. Yeah. Those those three things all tie into each other. They're, they're not, you can, you can separate them and, and put each one as a separate issue. But if you don't realize that they're connected to the other issues, then you're going to do a disservice because you're not going to be hitting you're, you're not going to be looking at the whole picture in totality. And I think that's the biggest issue, you know, that we have is that we look at everything from one platform from one aspect and the truth of the matter is there's not too many of us that are literally just one dimension yeah right that or that um situations or theories or events are um singular you know it's funny like no man is an island kind of a thing let me me ask you this because i'm kind of ignorant to it I know when presidents are elected, there's like this whole like what first 40 days in office or first 100 days in office where they're like, hey, man, when I get in, I'm definitely getting hard at blank. Does that kind of work the same for a governor? And do you have like, hey, there is a checklist of these things. When I get in there, I'm definitely fighting to make this happen that we haven't gotten into. I have my checklists. I definitely do. I have a I have a checklist of things that I that I know is my top priority. Tell me a couple. Um, or tell us a couple. I, yes. So prison reform is literally one of the absolute top things that we need to look at. Um, we're, we know what what is what we're hearing in one direction is not what we're hearing in the other direction. So we have to figure out what the discrepancy is between the two and and get to the bottom of that. So we know that that's, we know that that's already happened. I've talked with way too many prisoners right now or people who are recently released to uh, not know what that particular issue is. And I've talked to, you know, people who have been incarcerated. So, you know, listening to all what their different stories are, it it gives, I'm sorry. And again, God, I'm terrible at cutting you off, but I'm interested when you said what we're hearing in one direction is not happening in the other. So what are the two, I guess, perceptions or the two realities that are not meshing up? Okay. So one of the things is we, we know that um, people who are people who have been in prison have not been getting the education. Um, they they don't they haven't even been getting access to um, services and stuff like uh, services that are supposed to be given to them. Um, their education levels that were supposed to be assessed, training to them before they were exiting out. There was supposed to be training for them so that they wouldn't reoffend is, you know, is, you know, that they would be able to walk on out and have something to be able to walk into that was going to keep them from going back down the roads that got them there to begin with. So any idea why, um, like why aren't they having access to whatever, like, um, GED type materials if they're lacking their high school degree or to, to not be to not be able to go in and to be able to find out why 
I I don't know, and it would be speculative, so gotcha. I don't okay. think it would be wise for me to give my speculation. That makes sense. I uh, have I have them, yeah. but I just don't think it's wise for me to. Um, no, yeah, it's not helpful to speculate. But me wondering, I was like, I wonder if it's just like a pop if if it's a population thing, almost like classroom overpopulation, where like there's just too many inmates, not enough people who are supposed to be doing those jobs, doing them. Well, one of, of the thing. things that we know is that um, our guards go through um, basically the same type of training that a police officer goes to. So um, we know like as a, as a, when an inmate goes in that they're stripped naked, they're carried and put on display in front of absolutely everybody. Um, that's humiliating. You know, that's a, that's a, that's a very humiliating type of thing that happens. And, and so there's certain things that get done that is literally designed to literally break the spirit of the person. Well, these people were broken to begin with. It's why they're there. It's why they're at this. So now you're trying to just break them down even more. Mm. And that is the Mm. culture that comes through our prisons. So, you know, um, that is something that happens. We know, we know that bullies, you know, have a tendency to attract positions like that in life. You know, um, we've seen that happen over and over and over again. Like you just see it happen. So then, so I feel like we need to change the culture and to change the requirements of the people who are coming in to the prison as, as guards. And we feel like they need to have like some psychology in their background, that they have to have some more compassion because there's a reason why a lot of these people are in here. We've got people who have been arrested and put in jail for not paying child support. Newsflash, if they're in jail, they can't pay (laughs) child support at all. Where is the logic in that? If anything, put the person in a, if you owe child support to somebody, well then let's put you in a weekend program where you have to give us community service hours to pay this off. And we do it like that. Why would we put her, if they weren't paying child support, do you think it was basically because they might not have had the money to begin with? Do you think something could have happened? So it's like, why have they done certain things that seems counterintuitive to common sense? Right. Interesting. That's a good point about the the prison guards because they can make, I know know the working conditions can be very difficult, but you can make pretty good money from what I understand the prison guards I've spoken to um, in that field, if that's your career. So I think- I believe it starts at 44,000. Right. And, and, but it's the mandatory overtime that they're, that they're making the money. So they're making more money because of the mandatory overtime, because there's not enough people who want this job. We, we know, and I've been, you know, from, from the different things that I've been, you know, talking to and reading up on and meeting with different people over is, is the stress levels inside are so high that it's almost sort of like put a whole bunch of people in a pressure kettle and increase the heat and wait for it to all blow. Yeah. While having the engineer who's in charge of managing it not be as qualified because they haven't had the schooling that they need to de-escalate and release pressure. 
you know, like, and that's where I keep going with, um, especially with everything we've seen with the police, George Floyd, et cetera, just the lack of de-escalation and the immediate use of force to try to assume control of a situation versus a humanistic de-escalation is something that's odd. It actually goes against what we're being taught as teachers with kids. We can easily overpower kids as, as grown adults. But we're right. actually taught to empathize with them to de-escalate whatever's going on, not to increase it. If a kid's shouting, I shouldn't shout back just to show that I'm in charge of you. Right, just to show. Yeah. That's, and I see that a lot. So like, like, and, and I was watching that earlier. Like I, I was watching this one particular, you know, we've been traveling all, my husband and I have been traveling all over. So because we've been traveling all over, we got opportunities to be in other people's homes and watch like what they were doing and, and just being able to go from that observer point of view. And one of the things that we noticed is people whose kids are screaming and hollering. Generally the parent is screaming and hollering and the parent is screaming and hollering at the other parent. And then, and then they're screaming and hollering at the kids. So they never learned how to deal with their emotions. They only learned how to scream. They didn't learn. And one of the best ways that we can deal with our emotions is through art therapy. Mm. What did they get rid of in school? Art. Oh yeah. I mean, it's the, the, well, because of the state, because of the testing requirements, the push is to always go with what you're held to be accountable for, right? And that's almost like just a human nature. It's not just the schools, but schools are held accountable by those test scores. And I don't know if people believe that art class helps those test scores. It's easier to say doing more of what you're tested on will help those test scores. <laughs> and, you know, that's and the like thing that's is, the shift. what that art would help with is helping somebody to literally de stress from their uh-huh. stress, to recharge deal with their emotions. Yep. And then could they at that point be be more open to know, learning, more more regenerated. Right. They're they're refocused, they're refreshed because they got a break for sure. Right. Or, they got a break, they got something off of their chest, yeah. whatever it was they may have been drawing, whatever emotions. What if they were playing with pottery or you know, yeah. or like play-doh and they were able to take, you know, it's just what so, they it's so hard what, to correlate it, man, right? And I think that's what stops people from doing from taking stances like you're trying to take on the holistic approaches. I don't know if you can correlate, wow, you got 30 minutes extra of pottery time and look at your test scores. So it must be because of the pottery that it went up like that, you know, like scientifically that's so hard to do. But the thing about it is we actually already know that this works because that's the reason why they give it to therapists to do. So you're paying for a therapist to help your child. You stressed your kid out for eight hours at school and made them perform. So they're freaking out. So then you're going to take them to their therapist and their therapist oh. is going to get, show me on the doll what happened. Right. You know? Yeah, no, show, yeah. You know, show me with this crayon and draw me out what you were going through. Show me what you were going through. So not only are we spending more money to it's it's like we're just we're 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 just doing everything so backwards from what we should have been doing. Two hundred years ago, school was only about two hours a day, if that because people were working on their farms. School classrooms had people from kindergarten all the way up to probably 16 or 17 years old. So everybody was all in one classroom, you know, kind of learning, you know, at their pace. Well, we've switched all that. 
And we've said, this is what you're going to do for this grade. And this is what you're going to do for that grade. But if you've got 30 kids and only 15% retained what they were supposed to learn for that grade, they got pushed up even if they didn't understand it. So they didn't have a basic understanding of what, you know, they didn't know, you know. The mastery of whatever subject, the content. Right. Right. They didn't have that mastery. And we all based everything about, you know, moving up a level. If you look at what we do in things like martial arts, you don't move up a level until you have mastered a certain area. But we've put this age bracket that you'll graduate at this level at 18. Like it's all these it's all these like for lack of better words spots that people need to fit in at a certain age group and and it's unrealistic some people mark zuckerberg got success by the time he graduated from high school or college he was a millionaire before he was out of college not everybody is going to have that type of track record you know what I mean? Some people, it might take them to age 50 before they achieve something like that. That doesn't mean, you know, it, it just means it took longer to get you to where you were going. Yeah. It has nothing to do. It doesn't mean that those first 50 years of your life weren't successful. They were learning. You were learning all kinds of things. You know, you were there was Lord knows what was a part of those 50 years, you know, and, and what successes that you may have had, but we determine success based upon a financial, based upon how much money is in your bank account. Yeah. Versus your wellness, which actually right. kind of connects to the, the prison thing, because I'm sitting here thinking about if you go economy, you go job creation. I wonder how open people would be to different kinds of therapies, but in way smaller groups for individuals who are in prison that might need some mental help. Because I think it's really hard for people to open up, um, I would imagine, especially in a prison situation, in large groups. Even right. in groups of four or five, you're not trying to appear vulnerable. You're not trying to give people things to say about you. You're on edge as it is. Your senses are heightened anyway. But if right. you can just talk to most people one-on-one, -on -one, it's much easier to find that that place of trust and that place of like healing. And I wonder right. if there's a way to shift more resources, if even if it's not the prison guards themselves, but to shift more resources of people who have the therapy backgrounds and the different ways to help people heal from their past hurt in there to talk to these people, to talk to prisoners so that when they come out, they're more ready for the challenges that society well, brings. So this is what I have been seeing. So we have, you know, um, most massage therapists and um and coaches life coaches if you look at these two demographics they're almost hand in hand because the way massage therapists were taught they were given a basic education and then from there you had all these continuing ed units that you could go in any direction that you felt called to do many people have wind up being coaches a lot of them have all wound up being ministers I don't know why it happens. I'm going to suspect because it's the spiritual nature in which massage is done. But there's two category there's been two categories of what I've seen with massage therapists throughout my career. And you had the people 
who were more holistic, who felt massage was more spiritual. And then you had the other group of people who felt that it was more uh, diplomatic and more um, more streamlined to medical, like, right. fif- you know, like a physical like, healing kind of a thing. Right. So so looking at those two different aspects that, you know, we were working at, the people who were more holistic had a tendency to go more to essential oils, to go more to life coaching, to go more the minister route, where the people who were in the other direction did were people who tended to be more working in um, um chiropractor's office or working in a doctor's office you know they they looked at it from yeah it's more just like a physical healing more so than a holistic yes like we fix this nerve through almost like a therapist occupational therapist like yes almost like an ot or a pt you know when they looked at it you know from so depending upon who they were as individuals and where they were going so when we look at the people who went the more spiritual route, as I look at all these people right now who have basically saw their whole businesses collapse because you're not six feet apart and being a massage therapist, that's just not happening. It's a hands-on, it's a hands-on type of occupation. So right now in the state of Delaware, I've got thousands of people that are licensed massage therapists that have other credentials that literally have no prospects for jobs based upon the current theater that we're in. So if I can redirect them and, and put (laughs) them in positions where they can be able to help people from where their skill sets are, because they come more from that nurturing background, but they're also extremely intuitive. You have to realize, you know, um, we get a phone call and we get a description of somebody. And if we don't got that happy feeling around that appointment, we don't do it because we just know it's going to be a problem. So we're just like, Mm-mm, don't want to do it today. Like I'm going to, I'm going to back away from this one because I know I'm going to have a problem. Your intuition develops because you're working so much hands on with people. Your intuition just naturally develops. And I would imagine as a school teacher, you're in that same position. I taught massage. So I put a curriculum together you know, for massage. So I knew, you know, doing all that stuff, I was using my intuitive faculties to be able to do that, you know, to be able to put all that in and you get a, you know, you, I'm sure, you know, in your classroom. Yeah. You get vibes off of people. You start picking up on body language. You start putting together generalities of, Oh, if this person acts this way, based on years of observing people who have acted that way. And then the consequence of that action was blank. Okay. It's a predictable pattern. Right. right. Like you, you it's do. A predictable- you start getting that vibe from them. That's a great point, though, too, about like, man, if a crisis is occurring, re-diverting, um, it's almost like a public private partnership of we can come in and we can use these services. And then maybe you've created an entire new industry. That's what I honestly think is happening. That could be new. Like the thing that I've, I think for what I've created is literally an entire new system. And as time goes on and as it develops and as the, and as, and you know, when I, and I'm going to tell you this, cause this is just the way that it's been. When I wrote my plans, I wrote them as a story 
I, I, my, I was not thinking I was going to run for governor at this particular time. My plan was write my stories and, and put it together as like a book series. And then I was going to go and film it. I was going to teach it that way that, you know, that everything I was teaching inside the curriculum would be through filming. And then from there, I would have the money that would be able to implement these um, which what I would call villages, learning stations, all, we call it the center of love in the storyline. <laughs> we call it the center of love because it has to be for the love of people that you're doing this for. If you're doing this for the love of money, you're not going to have a good outcome. You hmm. know, money comes and money goes. So if you love something based upon money or if you love somebody based upon the money that you think that they're worth, if they all of a sudden have no more money, do you love them any less? Right. Well, if you're shallow, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, if, you know, but if you love that person for who they are, it doesn't matter how much money is sitting in their bank account. Or, But if you love yourself, if you've learned how to love yourself, it doesn't matter whether you got a million dollars in your pocket or whether you got zero dollars in your pocket. As long as you love yourself, that's the big component right there because yeah. money comes and money goes. But we have built a system based upon upon the love of money and no wonder we're having the issues that we're having because people have not realized that the value is them. The value is you. You are valuable right now and worth millions, millions. I, but it's, some, but if some you people go, might disagree with that, wait a minute. I, like, huh? <laughs> I said, some people might disagree with my value being millions, but I'll take it. Thank you. <laughs> but, but that's the thing is why would I want to tell you that you're only, you're only worth $10. Yeah. Right now. And it's How funny because some people do like, that's the whole like salary thing or making money. And that could like connect. If you're coming out of prison, man, and your only option is to get a job at $10 an hour, that's not really a respected profession like that really does affect your personal wealth. And if you're not being told you're worth more than your money, especially if you're in prison, you that's a very captive audience. They're looking for distractions. I would imagine most of them would welcome a regular conversation with an individual that is going to care about them. Is going to care about them. Yeah. And then just and them hearing that puts that in their mindset. And then they're then they can almost like start, it's easier to believe it when you're constantly told something, but you right. might not even know it if you haven't been told it. You might not even think right. it's an option if you've never, right. if it's never been expressed. If you've to never you. been, if you've never been fed that, if you've never been fed positive reinforcement yeah. and, and we see this in movies, like there, there's some really good movies out there and I can't remember the name of it, but I can picture it in my head. The coach getting a guy to crawl on his hands and knees with a person on his back. And all he kept telling him is his name was Brock. He's like, you can do it, Brock. Keep going. You can do it. But he blindfolded him. So he didn't know the football. Yeah, it was the, it was a movie. But if you, if you don't even know where your goal is, like if you're blindfolded and you, you can't see where the finish line is, but they're just telling you, your coach is telling you, you can do this. You can do this. Five more feet, five more feet, right. five more feet. Well, you said five more feet three times. And in those five feet, you have gone 
three feet. You might technically have 10 more feet left to go. You don't know. You're just hearing your coach tell you five more feet, five. You're almost there. You're just give it to me. Just give it to me. You got it. You got it. You got it. Yeah. And that I, is what pushes you. Yeah. And it, honestly, in my head, the system would be great if then during the outpatient, you could then continue it to an outpatient treatment so that you've established established this relationship. And then as you're going through a new environment, new transition, when you're released from prison, you would still have that support of someone who had been there with you in prison. It wouldn't be separate. Like you wouldn't have to develop that trust uh, right. with the new person because that's very difficult for people that's to continually develop new trust. That's the plan that we have. And we have it set up. We have that plan set up for prison reform that they would. And, and what we are looking at, and this is why everything ties together, because what we were looking to do, we one of my biggest things here in Delaware is keeping our agriculture and keeping our farms and not losing our farms to neighborhoods that grow out versus I would rather a neighborhood that grows up. Oh, really? So huh. I would rather see like a, a condominium be built where somebody could come in, have, have housing on the place that they're going to be working, that they are going to be able to be a part owner of. So at some point they can either sell what they've done. They can get what they want from it. They can buy in more and give them options, whatever it is that they want to do. It's it's just here's an option for you. And then and where you can learn. Like, can you imagine? Can you imagine right now? And I would take this myself in a New York minute and I would take it because it's the system I built. So <laughs> I know why I'm taking it. But what I built was this system in which that you would be able to work on this farm. And let's just say in Delaware, we know we have peaches and apples. So if we if I as a person had an ability or, you know, to be able to work on a peach farm and I was able to take that peaches and I could make the best freaking iced tea with peaches that blows the pants off a Snapple. Okay. Wouldn't wouldn't I want to take that opportunity and 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 then see what else could I do? I was like, okay, so now that we've mastered making the best peach iced tea, how about we put together like this really great peach cobbler and we start marketing this and we start to sell. You, you know what I mean? Like as long as we know that we can do something with something that you know that we can grow from it, then let's keep growing. Let's keep hmm. You know, like, let's keep building on that. Yeah, it's if, if you have that mindset of building, it would definitely, um, you know, the opportunity to be afforded to you, apparently. And I think it is. And I think we are coming in. We are coming into a season where we have the ability to be able to do this, where we have the ability to be able to empower people, empower our young children. And, and this is why I think it's so important for us to go back to school when, when we can. But I, I honestly, I don't see us going back, you know, for a while. But you have to trust the process and all this. And you have to, for lack of better words, let the dust settle hmm. or, you know, and, and let people decide what it is that they want to do. And, and we're going to go through a lot of different shifts until until we get there. But every, we have to learn how to work cohesively as a team. 
you know, like when you, we think of General Motors and we think of building a car, it was everybody that came together to build that car. Like each person had a job that they had to do. And, you know, in the end, in the beginning, you probably start off with a chassis. I've never built a car and I don't know why I'm saying chassis. It just but sounds I'm just great because it's fun it, to it, say. It's like Alejandro. It, it's just okay. enjoyable. <laughs> you know, and maybe that end thing is the glass going in the the glass going, you know, into the car. Maybe that's the last thing that happens when a car is being built is the glass gets put in. But in between that time, there's rivets and there's bolts and there's chairs and there's carpet and there's so many different things. So we each get to play a part in, in, in bringing a product together. And, and how can we as a team, you know, look at what we've done and say, damn, we accomplished this. Look at what we did. Like we've done something and, and we put ourselves out of this yeah. and we did it by coming together. And right now the recipe in Delaware is for us to all be a part. Hmm. We can't build a car all together if we're all separated. Interesting. Interesting. And we can't man. So we need to be able to come together and we need to be able to feel safe that we come together. And there's some people that we're never going to be able to convince for them to be. And so people have to be able to choose if they don't feel safe, then you're choosing, you're choosing your reality. And look at the people who have literally taken a chance and dropped themselves in a boat and floated to the United States on a chance. They didn't even know. They could have been capsized and dead and never made it. But they got brave and took a chance. And it's bravery. When you're brave and you go, you know what? I'm going to take a chance. I don't know what the outcome is going to be, but I'm willing to step and take a chance. I'm willing to do something that I might not have ever done before, but if I don't do anything, you know what I'm going to get? What I got. Yeah, <laughs> exactly what you put in, exactly what you put in. Yeah. But if you go, okay, I, I'm going to step past my fear and I'm going to step out in faith of myself in faith of what I, I believe in my own self, because I was given the tools to be empowered and once you're there and you know who you are and you know your value, it might not happen tomorrow. And I guarantee you it probably won't happen tomorrow. But, you know, depending upon how big of an enterprise you're trying to do is how long it's going to take to get it to be done. Right. If I wanted to open up a lemonade stand tomorrow, you know how easy that is for me? I do. Yeah, that's simple. That's the simplest okay. thing I could do is a lemonade stand. Right. But yeah, I did that when I was eight years old. <laughs> I accomplished that 42 yeah. years ago. I can do something bigger than a lemonade stand now because I mastered the lemonade stand. What are, what's a platform we haven't spoken about? I was interested when you said if you're a one platform and you said person, I'll say pony. Um, if you're a one platform pony, it's very hard. So we've kind of covered the economy, we've covered schools, we definitely got into the holistic person and how important the mentality is. We've gotten into prison reform. Is there something we haven't covered or talked There's, about? You have, the five is the general rule. Oh, so, really? 
Yeah, five is the general rule. You want to put five things on your platform and no more than that because so we've got the homeless issue, we've got the agriculture issue, we've got the prison issue, we've got this whole in all general healing thing that we need to do. So I think with it's I mean, I I'm pretty well, sure Talk to with, me a little bit about the homeless plan. Because honestly, being in southern Delaware I, I don't see homelessness as a problem relevant enough to put on a platform. But again, that's probably my ignorance because I'm not in different places in Delaware. I'm very limited okay. in where I go. Okay. So, um, so I take it you were not at the Georgetown meeting last night. Um, oh, heck, I don't go <laughs> there around There was only people. about 15 cars in that parking lot. So I'm sure um, there was the... We do have a homeless issue, and and what the pro so how we've been solving that home issue is a lot of people are living all in one home, so there's a lot of overcrowding that's happening. Okay. So um, with the overcrowding, you know, with that overcrowding, you know, like you could put a drain on septic systems at house, um, a, a drain on people's. Um, only because their personal space is limited. So trying to have to, you know, coexist, you can have more blowups, right. you know, so to speak, you can have, you know, a lot more tension and stuff. So you do have it in Sussex County because the one thing that you guys have in Sussex County is chicken farms and chicken farms are predominantly, you know, um, we find that this happens, you know, a lot in industries in farming, you know, in farming industries and in agriculture industries, we find that it is something. You mean like the employees are homeless? The people working the chicken farms can be? They're not. It's not that they're homeless. They would be homeless if they did not all come together. It, they would be misplaced. So oh, if they didn't. Oh, so, okay. So now what, and what I would take that as is I've always heard of like shift sleeping where a typical Hispanic would have a bed for eight hours and every bedroom is like a mattress. And then when they go to work, the person getting off the shift comes in and then they get to sleep and rest. And it's like this rotational home where you can have 15, 20 people running through it. So that's kind of the thing that you're referring to when you say homelessness? That's pretty much what is happening or probably something close to it because you have a lot of people who are living in one home. So they probably have to do something like that, gotcha. you know, split shifts in order for them to be able to survive. But that's just because the rate of pay right. is Or just so full low. families within one bedroom. So you could have four right. different families in a four bedroom home, a total of maybe 20 people where mom, right. dad, three siblings. And if you look at the model, the model that's used for family promise, which houses homeless children. So we don't have family promise down in Sussex County, but we have it up here in Newcastle County. And family promise basically housed homeless children and their parents. So the criteria was that you had to have children that were homeless. But what we did was give each family one of the classrooms. So in a and we went through the school the church system for this. So the families would stay at a church and they would migrate from church to church to church each week. But each family got to sleep in one bedroom, you know, one classroom. So it, it, it's based upon that same type of, 
of pattern. You don't all have your own bedroom. You don't have all your own, you don't have your own privacy, but the idea is to get yourself to the point where you're independent so that you can have your own home, where you can have your own living space again. And, and, but sometimes, especially, you know, when if it, and we saw this more out in Las Vegas versus in Delaware because the homeless situation in Las Vegas is probably double what double if not triple what I saw here in Delaware recently recently but it wasn't what I saw in Delaware 3 or 4 years ago we had a really really bad homeless situation here in Delaware um ooh. Um, you know, what we were seeing here, I'm not seeing it as bad as what it was. I'm expecting it to get bad because we've got what another round of like, put it this way. My husband got laid off in the beginning of this crisis. He's never gotten his unemployment from the state of Delaware. Never got it. So the homelessness platform is more of an anticipation of the economic outcomes from COVID. Right, right. Got you. So then so what, are you, what would be the proposal for people who get booted out of their house because they can't pay rent or that are now having to join other families and share a single home with three families because economically that's all they can afford? What, what the model that I put together, what I did is I used a central house as, as our main, um, um, as our, as our, as our main spot to be in. And then, so let's just say we used your house. So all the kitchen, all the food was being cooked out of your kitchen, served to everybody. Um, hopefully there's three or four showers. So depending upon how many families we're dealing with, you know, that there's those three or four showers and then they would go off to, we're looking at box cars as a possible solution. We're looking at tiny homes as possible solutions. Um, but we're also looking at um, high rise as possible solutions. So they so, would come into, it would be like a shared kitchen and separate baths in one place and then the sleeping quarters i guess sleeping and relaxing would be elsewhere yes sleeping and relaxing would be would be where people would have like their own space to do that so it's not ideal we don't want it to be ideal we want you to rise we don't want you stuck there forever so it's just your next stepping block to get yourself back up on your feet you have a place where you can cook your meals where you can do your laundry where you know if you, you know, access to a computer, you know, or all the things that you would need, but then to have your free space, your free think time, you would be able to move, you know, like be hmm. away from that hub. Doesn't that put the same strain on the like infrastructure of the septic and the water use? If the house, if, if the, and I only used your house just to give you an example. Right. If you, if you build a facility based upon that. Then you'd like be looking, prepared for it. Okay. Right. Gotcha. So then you can build it according to what you're going to, you know, according to each facility, what is each facility going to be able to do? If you're on a farm with a hundred acres and, and you've got, you know, um, industrialized hemp that's going to be in that field. You know, 
how many people are you going to be able to need to manner to manage that yeah, field? Man, that'd be an interesting concept. So, like, if the farmers, the 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 workers of the farmer, if you had like a little apartment complex that you took whatever two acres of your farm, got some built a living quarters for people to come who needed jobs to work there, and then they would have um, be right there. You know, for them, they wouldn't have to go right. out and find homes. The transportation the, would be less of an I, issue. Right. Huh. And before it was just usually farmers that would do that. And then we would have like migrant workers and they would stay at homes. This idea is different because the idea is, is that as you come into this property, you get to invest in it. You, whether it's your sweat equity that's doing it, you get to be a part of it and a part, hmm. you know, that you that bottom level is your ground floor level. If you decide that this is something that you like, that you want to invest in this, then you can take, you could take that first year. And then the next year you go, I want to invest in this, but I I'm, I'm looking at being in a different area. So starting here with just the state of Delaware, if you wanted to be down in Sussex County and work at a farm in Sussex County, where you have close access to the beach, somebody might really like that. And, but, and, and I'll look at you as a, as a school teacher. If you were up in Newcastle County and you were teaching for your summer, for your winter months, you could be here. Let's just say you, let's just say you chose, um, it, because you have a family, you know what I mean? It would be different, but let's just say you're a single guy and you were like, you know what? I'm going to go with that tiny house option. That would work for me. So you could be at a place up here that would support your tiny house option for the life that you have here. And then the summertime, when you want to go to the beach, you just, you call the tow company, they load your little tiny house up, it gets shifted down there and you spend your summer in another location and you do something different. It's just about giving you an option. Is the state owning the land that the tiny house is being transported back and forth on? I think what or like it the is, businesses would own this land for their workers to come. I think what it is, is it's, it's a self one. So in other words, when you invest, it's just like how you would invest inside of your house, except for you get to be portable and move all around. It's, have you ever been to a timeshare? But, like, have you ever gone to a timeshare before or been in a timeshare? Yeah, but that's hard for me to compare to like a tiny home moving or, but I guess you're saying literally the house would not move. It would just be like, a bunch of people in different apartments that could certain houses could move because I think it depends. You want to give people options. Certain houses wouldn't move, but say if you decided to do a tiny home, a tiny home is portable. You can put it right on a flatbed and move it from one location to another. If you wanted to go to Las Vegas, you could literally put this on your rail system, you know, the B and O and you could go across the country and you wouldn't have to worry about where are you going to live? You would take your home with you but and that, transport it. But it's got to be put somewhere, right? I guess that's what I'm stuck on. Like, where does the tiny, I do kind of, I would be kind of worried about where I'm living because I have a tiny home, but where do I, where do I place it? It's, it would be the same thing as like, we have RVs that do that now. There's RV parks. There's, okay. so hmm. it would be like a tiny home park and then you plug yes, in or whatever. It would be huh. like a tiny home park. And then you just have that option to be able to, to move there. If it's so, if it's so suits you. And if it's something that you're just like, okay, been here, done that ready for something different, then you sell it, <laughs> you know, huh. like it's, it's real estate. It's still, 
you know, on a smaller so, scale with like yeah, less, it's, with it's less just cost. on a smaller scale. So huh. if somebody is like, so say somebody is 60 years old, they might not need the whole house, white picket fence sort of thing. This could be an option for them right. to, to literally have, you know, it's like, okay, I got my own space. I, I could do this. And so it's just about giving people options so that they can figure out a way to have the life that they want without gotcha. being a slave to your home. I mean, I love being a homeowner. I did. I'll tell you what, the happiest day I was, was when I was no longer a homeowner. <laughs> <laughs> the responsibilities, because the continuing cost, the responsibilities. It's the continuing cost. And what I found for me is when... When you want to leave and move on, you're at the mercy of somebody else wanting what you have. Right. So the market. And, right. So it's like, so it could take you three or four years to sell your house because you, you're trying to cater to somebody who you don't know who you're trying to cater to. Gotcha. But, but the know, tiny you, home concept, you feel there would always be demand because that like workforce is always kind of cyclical. And people and the mobility of it, it'd be easier to get out of it if you wanted to. Right. It would be easier to get out of it if you want to. If you okay. want to travel, if you want to go huh. across the country, if your job, you know, if whatever brings you across the country and the only thing that's holding you back is you can't sell your house and you're not comfortable with putting renters in because you've gone down that trail before and you ain't getting back on it again. Hence me. <laughs> I was like, oh, I went down that trail before. I, I don't want to do that again. So it would give me the option where I could have just picked it up and, and gone to that other location. And I still have, you know, it was all the comfort creatures that I had. And I think for people who especially like people who might have autism or people who are, you know, wheelchair bound or something like that. It, 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 it helps them if they know where their layout is. And, right. you know, huh. people who are creatures of habits, they want to know when they walk in their front door that the light switch is right there to the left. And they know exactly right, right where it is and where their bedroom is and where their, you know, where all their stuff is. And it's just to, it, it's literally to, so that you can live more, you know, spend more time living and doing what it is that you want to do and taking your money and putting it where you want to do instead of having your money to be constantly going into to the American dream, which is a money pit. <laughs> Houses are money pits. And the way they build them now, oh, I feel bad for people. Oh, it was like, oh, you just took a 30-year mortgage for a kitchen cabinet that's only going to last you five years. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> you interesting. Know? No, it's, so, it's, a, it's an interesting concept. It's hard for me. It's so abstract. It's hard for me to wrap my head around, like the logistics of it. But I, I get the gist of it as far as the freedom and then people would just have more money because there's less expenses, like the, the premise. Right. There, there's, there's less expenses. And this is, I'm going to pull this back to you. Remember when I told you self-help books are in the back of the, um, library, the back of a library. Yeah. I wrote this story to appeal to the masses. So I wrote it from a sensational storyline and I did that so that I could give people so that I could, 
I could help you to understand it, but I helped you to understand it through a storyline because all it is is understanding millionaire mindset and how mm. to, so be, because we already, the reason why we have so many, so little millionaires and more people grinding is because we don't understand millionaire mindset. But we do like to sit down and watch television and be entertained. Right. We learn more from a comedian who makes us laugh on a stage, you know, than what we, I mean, who of us cannot still quote Richard Pryor or Bill Cosby? <laughs> we all can still quote him. So we remembered his jokes. You know what I mean? We remembered yeah. it. So and we remember stories like if we watched, if we saw the movie Halloween, how many times did we watch it? So you only have to say Michael Myers and we're like, oh, shit. <laughs> you <laughs> he, connect everything like, with him. <laughs> right. It was just yeah. like, so, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or, and you're just trying to use literature to increase, to have a story that would help people to remember and understand some basic concepts or themes. Right. So that was how I was guided to write everything. So what, my plan what was the name of the book again. It's called the secret life, the stimulus package. And what's out is the rough draft. Okay. So, and what we did in, in our storyline, what we wanted to do was to empower other people. And we did an experiment and the experiment was, is if we wrote real businesses and real people who gave us permission or paid us, and we have both. So there were some people we gifted chapters to, and other people paid us to write their chapters. But what we did is put real people in real businesses inside of the storyline with the intention to lift them up. Okay. So that was what we did in the rough draft that's out right now. We have seven, I believe, entrepreneurs that um, have businesses that we wrote in into them and basically pumped their business up. By the time people started to figure out what I was doing is when I started getting people to pay me to write their chapters and, and, and put them in. And that's what we did. So in our second draft that we're hoping to be out in September, we have two area businesses that are, I'm not sure, you probably don't know Velvet Cakes by Gwen, but I, I can tell you she's not. the best cupcake queen in this area. <laughs> Her cup, they're fabulous. They're honestly fabulous. They are so good. Like if I have to order cupcakes, that's who I'm going to go through. But then the other person that we have is Tenderbones Rib Shack. And they have a location in Dover and a location in um, Kirkwood, Delaware, right around the corner from Lums Pond. So my first, my first thing, I gave it to people for free. I said, just try me out. See, you know, like it's an experiment. Let's see what it does. Well, it's actually doing really, really good. Shanta Gibson and Eddie Bell now have actually a magazine. She's got, when I met her, she had no published books. She now has five and a magazine called Let's Go to Work, um, Let's Go to Work Entertainment Magazine. And so in 18 months time, you know, just bringing this one person in with the intention to lift them Look oh, at what it did. Inspiration. I got you. I was wondering the connection, but now I got you. Huh. 
That's interesting. Well, um, I'll have to be. It's, so I put it's my a, money where my mouth was, is what I did. Yeah, right. As I said, this could do it. And I, I used my own funds, my own resources, and I did it. And I published it and I sold it all around the country, toured all around. Oh, and guess what? Guess what? This is one of my crew d'etats too. <laughs> I love this one. I love this because I think this shows that I, I really do love Delaware and I want best for Delaware. When we, one of the, the first places that we went to after the book recorded and we sold our house or after the book published, we sold our house and we started touring the country. The first place we went to was um, uh, Minnesota, and we worked with Dr. Andrew Barrett, who is a 1987 graduate of Newark High School. He is the assistant conductor to the Minnesota Symphony. I recorded my book with him, and he's been conducting the whole score. I'm, I'm, I don't know enough to understand what that means. Conducting the whole score is in like, he's putting a, a like music behind the, the music. reading. Oh, yes. Man, that's he, cool. he, he's a, um, he's a doc, his, his doctorate is in music. So he's created all the music that has gone into the storyline. Gotcha. So man, we set neat. this up and this was my gift to the state of Delaware. This is what I did to show the people I'm not going to sit here and tell you this is what I'm going to do after you elect me. I'm telling you this is what I did to to get a jump start on what we're going to need to do in Delaware so that I walk in and I'm already ready. I've already been doing the work. I've been doing it for four years now. Well, so I, I Well, honestly, I think that's a, a strong place to kind of start wrapping up, Kathy. Um, and I, you started doing it um, organically, which I think is interesting. But I end my podcast by asking my guests to tell a story. And what I'll ask you to do, and you can have a little fun with it. It'll be kind of neat, actually, for people to get to know you on a little, uh, maybe a more personal level since we did so much on policy. Okay. I call this, can I get your best first for last? We've saved the best first for last. Sponsored by Abstinence. Waiting makes it worthwhile. Your best first for what? For, for last? For last. You know how you save the best for last? Like that's a okay. saying. So what I try to do is get people like a really cool first experience that someone has had to be the last thing that people who listen to the podcast would get to know about them. Okay. Um, so being that it's a story, I'm going to do it like this. Once upon <laughs> a time, there was a young maiden who lived in the land of diamonds. One day she met, uh, one day she met a man and they took their ideas and, and spread seeds all across the land. One day the wicked witch set an evil cast to destroy them all. The couple toiled away. They, they built products for play. They lavished and did all kinds of things along their way. And one day, the great phoenix awoke from its slumber and rode off into the sunset. How's that? <laughs> Not exactly what I was thinking of, but very, very creative. Well, no, that was I mean, what I could pull off. No, off no, no. You took you took it the wrong way. I know it's a lot of pressure, and most people um actually are like taken back. But it's more about you. Like, what's a really cool first thing 
that you've experienced, the first time you blanked that people could kind of like relate to you or get to know more about you? The first time... First time you anything. Like everyone has all these great first experiences that kind of are memories of theirs, that kind of shape them. And I'm just wondering um, what's one of your first experiences that would be neat to share and tell a story about. One of my first experiences that would be one of the first experiences. Okay. Okay. Um, oh God. Yeah. You're okay. You're really getting, okay. One of the first experiences. <laughs> it's okay. You that, can take your that, time. Okay. I'm going to go. All right. I'm going to go with this one. <laughs> when I was in third grade, I was on a merry-go-round in my neighborhood, one of those little merry-go-rounds. Love those things, And my man. shoelaces got untied. Uh-oh. And they got all tangled up around the bolts. And all of us were spinning and spinning and spinning, but they didn't know my leg was snapping in half. Oh, my gosh. And all I remember is biting the guy next to me to get him <laughs> to stop. And then they saw that my leg was mangled. And it was a man, a a paramedic, came into my neighborhood park, which was Old Mill Manor. I was in so much pain, they couldn't put me on the gurney. Wow. And that man, and I cry each time I think about this, and I think this man has got to be dead by now. But he picked me up, and he carried me out of that park, and he cradled me in his arms so that I would not be in pain. Mm. And that made such a lasting impact on me that I became a massage therapist so that I could wrap my arms around somebody else and shield them from pain. So everything I build, everything that I do, I do with the intention to help somebody out of their pain. Clearly, man, that's, I could not imagine a third grader. God, that that's just horrific leg snapping. And what a, oh, so nice. The, the emotions clearly, the passions clearly there. And speaking to you for three hours, I think it's pretty clear that you do try to do things to help people to alleviate their pain. Um, and you're very caring about it. Shout out to that guy. Do you remember his name by chance? I have no idea. I was only in third grade. Right? The only thing I Other remember things on about your mind. the man, he was a heavy set man. He had khakis on and a blue dress shirt. <laughs> so for me, the love of my lives were always heavy set men <laughs> because they were my sa- he was my savior that day. Got you know you. what I mean? He he saved me. So Did you um, ever see him afterwards or anything? Like ever see him no, around? Never did. I never did. Wow. I mean, I was I was young. It was a memory, you know, it was it was something that impacted me greatly because my break was so bad. I couldn't go into school for a long time because I was in so much both of my lower bones broke and they wrapped around each other until they snapped inside my leg. And um, so it was a really bad break and I couldn't go into school and I wound up missing learning how to do my times tables. And it took me into the sixth grade before I could master my times tables. Hmm. So knowing everything that I went through and, and, I, I wished, but I have said my husband, I, my husband and I have always, I've always, I always 
told that story to my husband. And my husband and I have always sat back and we always prayed for that person, not knowing who that person was, but we always felt God knew who it was, who I was talking to, mm -hmm. and that he delivered the message for me, that that it got to where it needed to be, um, because no doubt that person's probably in their 80s or 90s, you right. know, yeah. by now. But who they could have possibly been, I have no idea. But, but, but he made a lasting impression on me, and... I'm I'm going to continue to act in that manner of caring for people. It's it's an, it's a, it's everything who I am. Right? No, it's clearly. It's everything in who I am is to make sure that people have got what they need. And I did take homeless people in for years. I took homeless people in myself in my own home. I fed people who were homeless. And on the on family for that organization, Family Promise, I was on that original team that got that charity to open. And when I came on that team, I saw that they were only raising a small amount of money. And I said, look, here's my idea. Let's do a dinner. Let's divvy up all these tickets. Let's get sponsors for all this. In six weeks time from idea conception of idea till I executed it. It took me six weeks and I raised over $6,000 and that charity to, to house homeless children opened up several months ahead of schedule. Nice. And so, it looks like that's the kind of work ethic and mentality you're hoping to bring to the position yes. of governor in Delaware. Yes. Yes. Awesome. And I've already been doing it. So like I'm already working. It's just, I've been working behind the scenes. They, they don't know the groundwork that I've already been, you know, most people don't realize, but if you look me up on Facebook and you look and I keep my profile open so anybody can go through my profile, you will go through and you will see a timeline of things that I have been doing and how I've been marketing all around the United States so that I could bring company so that I can bring that company that has learned how to take the hemp and turn it into quarter panels so that we can bring a division here. I've been doing it. I've been doing this this whole entire time. I just didn't have the title behind me, but I told myself I didn't need the title to do the job, do the job, do the job first. And, and then everything else will come not make an empty promise and say, this is what I'm going to do if you elect me. I didn't want to do that. I was like, no, this is the job I'm going to do. And I'll prove to you that I'm doing it. I'll, you know, I'm going to show you that I'm doing it, that I'm not just, I'm not just a windbag. I have a book published with all my plans. I have a second one getting ready to go with all of my plans for Delaware, everything that I'm seeing for Delaware, everything that I want to create and bring to Delaware, I wrote inside of a storybook so that people could wrap it around their head because I knew that this was a radical shift to, to move away from our two systems that we currently have. That in itself is a shift 
So to be able to understand it and, and to understand where we could go with it, I wrote it from a storyline point of view. But it is the rough draft. Just remember that. <laughs> it's got all the, all the typos and run-on sentences. Oh, it's all there. <laughs> <laughs> Beautifully flawed. Well, Kathy, man, thank you so much for giving up three hours of your day to talk about some of your policies, your beliefs, your platforms, um, for people, for allowing people just to listen to you talk and um, get to know you better. It was uh, so nice conversating with you. I want to thank you. You have been absolutely amazing. You gave me an opportunity where I didn't know one was coming up. And, and realistically, I mean it when I say I need people like you with your level of expertise and your level of knowledge. Cause I, my company, I, I, before I shifted to, to do this, to run for governor, I named my business Happy Ending Ministry because I wanted to give you a happy ending. I know. Isn't that oh, funny? with the whole massage background. You know why I did that? Because everybody accused me of doing it and I never did. So it was the joke. I was like, you want to say that? Awesome. I was like, I'll give you a happy ending. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I love that. I did stand up comedy for six months in Las Vegas. <laughs> you gotta hilarious. be able to have a sense of humor. No doubt. Well, Kathy, man, good luck to you going forward. Um, is there anything to vote before the actual election for you? Like there's no independent party primary. Like I know the Republicans, right. Democrats. There is no independent party primary. Have the 15th. So, so you're just straight on the ballot. What would that be? November? Is it November straight, 6th? Do you know? It's November 3rd. November 3rd. Okay. So November 3rd, be looking for Kathy as an independent party. Get up with her on social media. Um, she's completely open to talking to you about stuff. Kathy, very open to talk. Let's let's get this done. No doubt. Well, thank you. And um, enjoy the rest of your day. It was great thank getting to you. know you. Thank you. I appreciate it. No worries. Bye. All right. And I've now Bye-bye. become an expert on the subject I like most. Getting to know you. Thanks to Kathy for coming on the Getting to Know You pod, um, for giving so much of her time, and for being so open and honest and just a fun free spirit. <laughs> if you'd like to find out more about her and her campaign, you can go to her website, Dematis for Governor, that is D-E-M-A-T-T-E-I-S, the number four, governor.com. Remember, listeners, the general election will be November 3rd. Thanks to Andre Psyche for sponsoring the podcast. Please go to andrepsyche.com. Let your brain relax a little bit. Scroll through his site. You're going to find some trippy merch that's going to be worth checking out. If you haven't already, please friend and follow the Getting to Know You pod. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. The word of the pod. The word of the pod. Let's see if I can nail it. Endocannabinoid. Endocannabinoid. It may be a record-holding syllable word. I believe it's six. Endocannabinoid is the word of the pod. You can post that word on any of our social media or tag the Getting to Know You pod when you use it on yours and you'll get a shout out on our very next podcast. Also, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the Getting to Know You pod, whether you listen on Apple, Spotify, or whatever your preferred podcast platform is. And finally, if you or someone you know would like to become a sponsor of or advertise on the Getting to Know You pod, we would love to partner with you. We have a wide-ranging global audience that would like to get to know more about your brand or business. All you have to do is message us. 
go out and vote. 